October the 14th, 2022. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. A lot of ground to cover today, so let's get right to it. NCAA Football Week 7. We'll preview some of the biggest games. Penn State, Michigan, Kansas, Oklahoma, Iowa State, Texas, Bama, Tennessee, Oklahoma State, TCU, North Carolina State, Syracuse, Clemson, Florida State, Mississippi, Oklahoma, uh, Mississippi, Kentucky, USC, Utah, LSU, Florida. We'll get quick hits on all of those games in just a few moments. Then we'll dive into NFL Week 6 with Eric. We preview all of the Week 6 NFL games. And in those previews, we talk about every game, the line, the total, any movement on the line, injuries, game analysis, fantasy and DFS thoughts, and then how we're playing those games if we're playing those games. Then we'll dump, uh, we'll dive into the horse racing portion of this episode where we'll go Friday Keeneland, Saturday Keeneland, and Saturday Santa Anita. Mandatory payout in the pick six at Santa Anita on Saturday. So in that 20-cent pick six, they will have a pool that probably approaches $2 million. We'll dive into the pick six in just a few. We then head to wrestling with Chad Cooper. Extreme Rules recap, Monday Night Raw recap, Tuesday SmackDown, Wednesday AEW Dynamite. We talk about all of those TV shows, recap, reviews, all the news in the world of wrestling. Then we finish up with Andor, Episode 6, The Deep Dive, scene-by-scene recap and review. Michael Foster joins me to discuss, so spoiler alert, we get into everything in Andor Episode 6, all Star Wars spoilers, that'll be the final segment fantastic episode of TV was the sixth episode of Andor. Busy, busy podcast on this one. And it's presented by BetterThan.Vegas. Give them a follow at BTVBets on Twitter. If you're a college football fan, every Friday I host a college football show, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Every Sunday I host an uh, NFL show, 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time. All of the content at Better Than Vegas, it's free. And it's Content that's posted from handicappers and gamblers all around the world, just trying to help you become a better better. And our friends at BTV Bets are in partnership with Betfred Sportsbook. Go give them a follow at Betfred Sports. And if you're able to wager in a in a state where wagering is legal, sign up for Betfred Sports right now. They have incredible promotions. They give you bonus dollars and all sorts of stuff on your account. And then incredible experiences they're partners with the Bengals and the Broncos in NFL and the Rockies in Major League Baseball they give away tickets to all these games they give away sweet experiences Betfred Sports go give them a follow let's dive into some NCAA football for week number seven let's do some quick previews of the biggest games coming up this weekend Let's talk Kansas versus Oklahoma. We have Oklahoma as an 8.5 point favorite in this game, over under 62.5. Oklahoma is 3-3. Three three. Kansas was undefeated up until last week. So Oklahoma comes off of three straight losses for the first time since 1998. In the three losses they've had recently, they've allowed 48.3 points per game. But they have won 17 straight against Kansas, and their quarterback should return, Gabriel. He got hurt on October 1st, and he missed the last game when they got shut out against Texas. Oklahoma is 0-3 against the spread this year against teams with a winning record. And they are 1-4 against the spread in their last five against Kansas. So while they've defeated them in 17 straight, they haven't necessarily been performing well against the spread. Now, Kansas 
This will just be the third time in the last 17 years they enter the Oklahoma game ranked, and only the second time in that stretch when Oklahoma is unranked. Quarterback Daniels likely to be out again after suffering a shoulder injury against TCU. Kansas is 5-0-1 against the spread this year, 6-0-1 against the spread in their last seven as a dog. I think at anything over a touchdown, I'd have to lean Kansas here. And this number's been in the 8.5-9 range. Let's take Kansas plus the points. We move to Iowa State versus Texas. Texas comes off of that big victory where they beat Oklahoma last week. But keep in mind, Oklahoma was playing without their uh, quarterback who got injured. And Texas has a big game next week against Oklahoma State. Texas is a 15.5 point favorite against Iowa State. Over under 48.5. This is way too high. This is a trap spot for Texas with a big game last week and then another big game coming up next week. Texas is 4-0 against the spread at home so far this year, but they beat up on an Oklahoma team with a terrible defense last week. Iowa State has a fantastic defense. They allow 13.7 points per game. They're 8th in the nation in scoring defense. They're 11th in total defense. They only allow 277 yards per game. Matt Campbell is 9-2 against the spread as a double-digit underdog problem is they don't have a great offense they only had 276 yards of total offense but their defense is going to play well enough I think to keep them in this game they had to kick three field goals and they also had the ball twice with short field late and they couldn't get a game-winning drive you know that loss last week puts them at three and three they've lost three straight big 12 games by combined 11 points and two of them to rank teams I like Iowa State in this spot I think it's too many points Iowa State plus the 15 and a half We go Penn State versus Michigan. Michigan favored in this game by 6.5, over under 50.5. This is the first time since 1997 that both of these teams are in the top 10 when they played each other. Stud running back for Michigan is a team that wants to run the ball. They're 5-0-1 to the under this year. Michigan has not been a great team under Harbaugh against other good teams. 5-12 against the spread against AP top uh, top 10 teams under Harbaugh. So far this year, only one of their wins has come against a team with a winning record, and the combined record of its three non-conference opponents is 5-14. and 14. Penn State is coming off a bye. They've had two weeks to prepare for this. They've held four of their five opponents to 100 yards rushing, to less than 100 yards rushing. They only allow 79.6 rushing yards per game. But they haven't really fared well against Michigan under Franklin. 2-6 and six against the spread under Franklin against Michigan. And 0-5 and against the spread as an underdog. I still like Penn State in here. So another dog. Plus the 6.5. Let's continue along. Bama, Tennessee. Bama is a 7-point favorite on the road playing a Tennessee team that they've beat 15 times in a row. We don't really know the status of Bryce Young as of now. Last week, the freshman Milrow started for Alabama. He threw three touchdown passes, but he also lost two fumbles and had an interception. He's run for 244 yards and a touchdown overall. Alabama is averaging 6.9 yards per carry. That's third best in the conference. They'll be facing a Tennessee defense that ranks second best against the run. They only allow 2.79 yards per carry, and they only allow 89 rushing yards per game. These teams are number three in yards per play on offense and number two in yards per play allowed on defense. Uh, excuse me, that's on the Alabama side. So they're they're well balanced, right? Number three overall yards per play on offense. Number two yards per play allowed on defense. Tennessee five and zero for the first time since 2016. 
They have wins over three ranked opponents. And Hooker leads the SEC with uh, a lot of the passing metrics. 1,400 yards, 10 touchdowns, no interceptions. He's also run for 231 yards with three touchdowns. Tennessee, 5-0, and playing an undefeated 6-0 and Alabama team. I think at home, Tennessee can keep this game close. Again, let's go another dog. I like Tennessee plus the seven in here, keeping this game close. We go Oklahoma State, TCU. TCU is a three and a half point favorite in here, over under 68 and a half. Both of these teams undefeated. They both come into this game 5-0. and They are averaging identical points per game. 46.4, tied for first in the conference, and they're both tied for third nationally. On the Oklahoma State side, Sanders, their quarterback, has completed over 61% of his passes, almost 1,400 yards, 12 touchdowns, 2 interceptions, also rushed for 240 yards. On the TCU side, they just beat previously undefeated Kansas last week, and they host a ranked versus ranked game for the first time since 2017. Great start to the year for Sonny Dykes. And the quarterback, Duggan, is completing 73% of his passes, over 1,300 yards, 14 touchdowns, just one interception. Only Ohio State has more plays of 30-plus yards this year than TCU, and TCU leads the nation with 8.08 yards per play. No real strong opinion in here. I would lean... TCU, but I don't like the number at three and a half, so we'll uh, we'll steer we'll still clear of that one. Let's move to North Carolina State Syracuse. We have North Carolina State. The Syracuse is a three and a half point favorite in here. North Carolina State five and one. Syracuse five and zero. Oh. Syracuse has the number one ranked defense in the conference, allowing only two hundred seventy one yards per game, and they average thirty eight point four points per game. Their quarterback, Garrett Schrader, he was 17 for 17 against Wagner, 238 yards, two touchdowns, also had a rushing touchdown. His fifth of the season, so he has five rushing touchdowns, 10 passing touchdowns, and just one interception. North Carolina State is the number two defense in the conference, only behind Syracuse. So they give up just about 25 yards more per game. For North Carolina State, it was the backup quarterback, Chambers, who had to come in when they were down 17-10 to 10 last week. He only threw one pass, but he, he did help lead three field goal drives to come back and take the lead. They won 19-17. He ran for 39 yards on seven carries and 5.6 yards per carry. We, don't, we are not sure if Leary, the starting quarterback, will be back for NC State. I will stay away from this game with those questions. Let's go to LSU, Florida. Florida minus two and a half in here. Over under is fifty and a half. Florida comes out, uh, comes. They both come into this game four and two. Florida comes off a win against Missouri last week. LSU got crushed by Tennessee, and I think Florida will be able to run the ball well. LSU is really, really banged up right now. They're dealing with a lot of injuries. They lost the opening kickoff last week. They fumbled, and it led to a touchdown. And they were just down twenty nothing and got crushed. I think Florida is the better team in here. Overall, I like Florida. I think they have a little bit of an identity. They'll be able to run the ball well, and they have a pretty good defensive line. I'm leaning Florida minus the two and a half in here. We go to Clemson versus Florida State. Clemson minus three and a half at Florida State. Over under in this game, 51 and a half. Clemson leads the conference in takeaways. They only allow 18.3 points per game. They scored 30 in every game this year. They're averaging 39.3 points per game. Defensive tackle Brian Brees expected to play this week while the cornerback Jones is day-to-day. It's been a stud 
season so far for DJ 14 touchdowns, 2 interceptions for the Clemson quarterback On the Florida State side, they blew a 14 point lead at halftime Lost to an NC State team last week who was playing with a backup quarterback They outgained North Carolina State by 80 yards But two key interceptions really hurt them One in the end zone with 38 seconds left Even with that, their quarterback Travis is ranked 4th among FBS quarterbacks By Pro Football Focus with a 91 plus grade The running back Ward is hurt Will will not uh, will need surgery. They're not sure if he's going to play. I like Florida State in here. I think you can get over the three. I take Florida State plus the three and a half in here. Sprinkle a little money ni- money line on Florida State. Let's get to Mississippi State versus Kentucky. Mississippi State is a three and a half point favorite on the road at Kentucky. Over under forty eight and a half. Mississippi State has been dominant in their last three games. They've won a combined one hundred and twenty seven to fifty five against their last three opponents. But they do have a game against Alabama next week. A quarterback that's completing more than 72% of his passes and has over 2,100 yards, 22 touchdowns, and three interceptions. They finished with 568 total yards against Arkansas. Kentucky comes off back-to-back losses. Last week, they were without quarterback Will Levis, who was in a walking boot after suffering multiple injuries in the Mississippi game. His health is paramount. The backup quarterback threw an interception last week, got sacked six times, and Kentucky allowed 179 yards rushing. They allowed 17 consecutive points in the second half. Tough to make a play on this game without knowing the health of Levis. If he's playing, I like Kentucky in here. I'd still probably play Kentucky at the the plus three and a half. We finish it up with USC and Utah. USC 6-0, Utah 4-2. They lost last week to a very good UCLA team. USC shut out Washington State in the second half. They were able to win without getting a takeaway for the first time all year. USC is number three in the nation in sacks per game. They are number four in overall sack percentage. And they're 15th in points per game just behind Utah. Both teams average over 40 points per game. Utah had two big turnovers last week that really changed the complexion of the UCLA game. They got intercepted and then later... Another turnover in UCLA territory One in the first half And then in the fourth quarter A fumble to set up UCLA on a short field They allowed UCLA to score on four consecutive possessions They're still second in the conference In scoring Only behind USC In scoring defense USC is number one Utah is number two They play each other And if you're getting over a field goal here I mean I'm a USC fan I'm going to take the Trojans in this spot Utah is has advantages in some spots against them, but USC's defensive line has been really, really good. They can get to the quarterback a little bit. They may not be getting beat up the way you would think. Now, their run defense isn't fantastic, and their offensive line is is going to need to hold steady, but I like the Trojans in here. and Lots of dogs this week. We'll talk more college football on Friday, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time at BTV Bets. Let's move from college football to pro football. NFL Week 6. Wow. Week 6. Game previews. Eric joins me every game. Line total, movement, injuries, analysis, fantasy, DFS, and then how we're playing the game. We also will uh, dive on into... We, we do start to talk about the Thursday game, so that's why if it seems a little abruptly cut off, I cut the Thursday game out because I play, I posted it on social media earlier. But we jump into NFL Week 6 Game-by-Game Previews. 
get into Ravens Giants. So we have Baltimore at the Giants. We have the four and one Giants and the three and two Baltimore Ravens here. Ravens are a five and a half point favorite on the road. Last week, the Ravens pick up a victory, but this was probably Lamar's worst game throwing the ball. He had some bad overthrows. Missed a receiver in the first half, which wasn't which resulted in interception. He missed multiple touchdown chances in the second half. Didn't have a great game overall, but trailing in the game on the last drive, he had four runs for 31 yards. He completed a couple passes to old steady Mark Andrews. They set up the game-winning field goal. They actually had negative EPA per pass play for the game, Uh, but Lamar did run overall. 10 design carries, 53 yards, four first downs. They went away from that normal, played high, a two-high shell zone, a two-high zone shell as opposed to leaning on the single-high man-to-man coverage that they'd been playing before. So it did confuse Cincinnati a little bit. Um, as a group, it was it was pretty good. Marlon Humphrey actually <clears throat> looked pretty good. He only allowed one first down all game. He, they were easing back into the lineup, um, some of their injured players. So I think in the next few weeks, with some of these guys coming back, like Staley and Humphrey and Dobbins, a few more games, I think they're going to start to look good. I mean, they could very easily be five and zero this year. They did blow another lead in this game, though, Eric. That's concerning with them. But Justin Tucker, man, he hit a sixty-first straight field goal in the fourth quarter in overtime, which is the longest in NFL history. He is so good, and the thing about him is like he. He even more than like a football player, Justin Tucker is about as good as his job at his job as like anybody is doing their job. If there ever was a kicker that should be considered for a bigger contract is Justin Tucker. The right. Money. He truly oh. is a weapon because you know that you're like, okay, 50, 55, we're good. Really like up to 60, you feel confident, but like he he's about 10 yards deeper than you feel comfortable with any kicker. Yeah. Um, this game right here, this is an interesting game. Um, on a lot of fronts. A, you have the Giants being 4-1, and one, just had a huge victory over in London and came back. Uh, historically speaking, teams that go over to London, the team they're playing against goes over their team total. But in terms of the Ravens, you just kind of look at their schedule. They just beat the Bengals on Sunday Night Football, big rivalry, you know, after they got embarrassed last year, and the, they have the Browns on deck. I mean, this they had the Bills, odd. which was a big game before that too, yeah, like a couple back to back big games. Them. And I'll be honest, if the Giants weren't at, you know what I mean, if they weren't at London the week before, I would be playing but, the Giants. Yeah. But that worries me late in the game with like a running team like Baltimore, you know, because Baltimore could just wear them down like physically late. But you're right. With what Baltimore has on deck, with what they just been, went through with a couple of big games, emotional games, like all their games have been tight. And this Giants team like continues to overachieve and they're not getting a whole lot of respect because they haven't been like, incredibly blow you out impressive. But there are a few things last week that were really, really, um, that impressed me. They finished second in EPA per play with a huge game script against them. They had to come from behind with no receivers. Daniel Jones finished fourth in completion percentage above expectations of all quarterbacks last week. 12 of his 27 pass attempts produced a first down. That was the third highest of any quarterback last week. Before that, only 25% of his pass attempts had uh, had produced first downs, which was 30th out of 32. 
He finished the game 13 for his last 14 in the, in the second half. Uh, he rushed seven times for 37 yards before kneeling on the ball late. Doing that without so many of their weapons. I mean, Barkley had to come out of the game for a little while, but he still had 70 yards rushing and another 36 yards receiving. He um, is averaging 1.7 yards over expectation on his carries this year. That's third best in the league. So third best at getting more than he was supposed to based on that particular play. And I mean, speaking of Barkley, the one prop that kind of piques my interest in there, and it's always hard because these props come out later and later and later in the week would be his over and receiving yards. Later Ravens do go up a lot of receiving yards to the backfield. Um, and that's yeah. one of the bets that I'll tell you what, that this is running back receiving yards is slowly becoming my favorite bet. Yeah. I, I nailed what the other day, uh, the one that I had was Jacobs over 18 and a half on Monday yep. night. I mean, he crushed that early and they just get, it seems like one of the props that they're still not quite as sharp on with the lines that there may be a game or two behind some of the numbers where, man, a lot of these NFL lines now, like it games in particular are so sharp. And now overall the prop market is becoming a lot sharper and touchdown well, scores I mean, are becoming sharper, you know, all just, that stuff. Just something to think about. And like, this is, you know, going to be one of my things, but just a segue kind of what you're saying. Everyone's talking about the Falcons, how um, they've covered five games in a row, right? Yep. No one's covering, no one's talking about how the lead bat, the lead opposing back against the Chiefs has gone over their receiving prop five weeks in a row. Which you know is just I mean? as, yeah. which is just as valuable for yeah. you if you're playing that, right? So it's just the information isn't quite as widespread or talked about quite as much. And uh, you get, you get it right here from Eric. Yeah. The, uh, the giants, they, they simplified that offense, which is, has been good last year. We saw them just give up in situations. They're not asking Jones to do a whole lot, short passes, intermediate stuff, space being created. And then the other routes, they create space for the primary read. This mm-hmm. is a smart staff. I'm not, I don't know yet in a small sample size like this, if they're a staff that can win you a Super Bowl, but they are in a lot better hands than they were before. And they just, like you compare a staff like this to what you're seeing in Denver, where they have players and they haven't been able to put those players in spots to succeed. And then on the flip side, the Giants are dealing with all of these injuries and they're what they're making like the best lemonade out of the lemons that they're given right now. I mean, to say this is a much better staff is like the most politest thing you've ever said. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely. nice. Um, you know, you mentioned it with the sets they're running. They're limiting how much of the side of the field he looks at. They're just putting him in a position to win, and that's what a coaching should do. In terms is of there that, a number? Is there a buy-in number for you on the Giants side? Like, it does it get to the point where you're no, like, okay, the London doesn't bother me? They, they played in London last week. Yeah, me too. I, I, if you play I in London wanna... last week, you're immediately off the board. Yeah. Yep. Let's move to the next game. We've got Bengals versus the Saints. So the Bengals have come in off. The Bengals have lost on walk-off field goals after overcoming double-digit deficits in in their losses this year. They have three losses by a combined eight points. So in all of them, same thing. Down big, come all the way back, lose on a walk-off field goal. Burrow had a bad game last week that Ravens did a smart thing. They just sort of confused him a little bit. His lowest completed air yards of his career, average EPA per play um, was below average on offense. And they did that against a Ravens defense that was ranked dead last 
in pass defense coming into the week. So it was a really nice job by the Ravens to make a few adjustments there and, and make Cincy kind of, kind of, uh, stifle them a little bit. And the more I watch them, man, I really don't think Taylor is a good coach. You've never really felt like he was. And last year they had a run where they were able to like their talent was able to just sort of carry them. But when their talent isn't able to do that, sometimes he doesn't scheme these guys open. Chase isn't getting any easy looks or anything in space at all. It's all short stuff where it's all congested. They can't really run the ball well at all. They keep trying. They like, it's been a little bit better, but um, you know, coming into the game, Baltimore had allowed 30 completions of 11 air yards or more, and Cincinnati had four completions over 11, but none over 20. So only a few that were just like big plays, but not even like the huge plays that Cincinnati was really like meant. Like was we knew them for last year. <clears throat> On the flip side. You had uh, the Ravens blitzed at the lowest percentage of plays that Joe Burrow had ever faced. So they weren't putting as much pressure on him, like forcing blitzes. They were really good in coverage, and he was having a tough time. They play the Saints here. So we're seeing this number right now at Bengals as a slight favorite last week. I mean, there's been a lot going on for the Saints. That's what's been hard to play this team or to take a whole lot out of their first five weeks, Eric, because I mean, we've had Jameis in and out Dalton's come in. Hill has played some Thomas Camara Landry all in and out with the new head coach. So it's been really hard to get a feel for this team. Um, So I look at it like this, you know, let's, let's piggyback to the Bengals. You mentioned like that their, their running game, basically they changed their blocking scheme and Mixon is just, completely confused where the hole is so that's the issue with what's going on there um with the change in the blocking scheme then bringing in so many new pieces and um uh burrow missing part of camp because the appendicitis i think that has kind of led to like the timing the issues and him getting rushed i think it's just a combination of all that there's all backed up a little bit right it's just not like it's it wasn't a well-oiled machine coming in their most successful play last year was, oh, no, blitz. Okay, hot route, throw it up to Chase. And now it's kind of like the offensive line. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't have time to do that because they're getting him because the blocking scheme they switched to has just been a complete train wreck. There's a lot of similarities um, that they have that the Rams have. It's kind of yeah, funny. There's a, right? there's a lot of stuff going on there. Um but I mean, like it goes back to coaching because I feel like the offensive line talent that the Bengals have is well above what the Rams have right now. If that makes yes, sense. yes, I um, agree with you. They they have more options. It feels like right now of what yeah. they could do to make it work. Whereas the Rams, the Rams are, are going to need like the buy, and they're going to need to make a, a move or two. And and it seems like Odell or another playmaker. But the Rams are going to need, I think, to get another some more personnel, another, another, yeah, we're going to need to get something, yeah. um, you know, but looking at, I feel like, you know, with Kamara coming, coming back, they added a big piece to the offense. He looked great. You know, then you put in the packages for Hill that adds something. I just kind of feel like I'm looking at the saints the last two weeks, they're headed in the right direction. Their offense has started to finally have an identity. I, I feel their DVOA because Davenport and Jordan missed some time is a little under the radar. Um, you have the Bengals coming off a division. 
back-to-back road games, a Sunday night primetime game against the Ravens. You know what? I, I like the Saints here. I locked them in at two. Um, I, I think they win this game straight up. I just think this is the Bengal and the Saint, like, the whatever that's called. What was it called now? The Super Dome at Little Caesars or whatever. Oh, there we go. You know, what I, mean? like yeah. you know what I mean? Because like, they change it. That's a real tough place to play. It's really loud. I think with the offensive line issues, there's going to be a lot of false starts. I just like the Saints here. I think it's a great number. Um, offense, like I said, looking a lot better with Kamara. And Carmichael's doing some interesting things where he's lining up Kamara and Olave on the same side. Kamara you know, looked looked yeah. a lot better last week. He looked it should be a better game for him. I, I don't I'll probably stay away. I don't think I have this like a strong opinion one way or the other in this one. So uh real intriguing watch. Like this is a big game for the Bengals. You, you don't want to go to two and four right now where everyone's sort of clumped together. Um but big for game for both of these under, teams. For our under, that's a that's a that's a good looking yeah. team. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. Uh let's continue along to the Jags versus the Colts. So, gosh, Eric, there is such a weird thing going with these two teams. The with, with this division overall, where, like, you have the Jags who can't beat the Texans. They but lost. Like the Colts can't beat. Like, I know. You know what I mean? It's, it's so weird. The Jags can't beat the Texans. Um, Colts can't beat the Jags in the Jags, right? Like, at Jacksonville. And, and just overall, they've really struggled with them. It's so funny. And last week you were on the Texans and they, and that was a really good spot. And we, we kind of liked them too, because it just felt like Jacksonville was getting a little bit too much buzz after the first, after their, their couple big victories, their back-to-back big wins. When one of them was against a really banged up chargers team that may have looked a lot better on paper. And then last week against Philly, they really struggled this week. Trevor Lawrence had a completion percentage 15% below expectation, which was the worst mark in the league. Uh, inaccurate, poor decision-making. Second and one at the Texans seven, throws it right into two defenders. Really bad decisions early in the uh, in the end zone. And then another one to end the game. Fourth and one at the Texans 38, and a, there's a zone read. He hands it off. If he would have just kept it, he would have easily picked up a first down. And that's not even a throw. That's just keep it or hand off. When, you know, like reading the defense, that's just looking at it. Can you see it? And the Jags outgained the Texans by almost 200 yards. Three times in the red zone, they ended up with only three total points on the game, though. Uh, And they had one of the worst penalties you'll see by Walker to give the Texans a first down late in the game. It just kind of looked like old Jaguar stuff from last year. But they, uh, you know, they they forced eight turnovers the first couple weeks. Just one forced the last two. Now let's go to the Colts a little bit. The Colts are a three. What now it's down to two. It's two, two point favorite here. One. I'm seeing two and one and a half. It's, yeah. And I, Ryan. I think that's more with Taylor not practicing today. Ryan had his worst overall offensive grade of the year last year in that ugly game against uh, last week well, in that ugly game against Denver. Real, real quick, just to counter that. If that was Carson, like that's the difference. That's why you big, and I'm not the biggest Matt Ryan fan guy at all. But that game, the right there, with how the Colts were going, how were they trending? They needed that game last week. Yes, and that's why you have Matt Ryan because he can look like absolute dog crap, but somehow BS his way to a win. You know what I mean? Like Carson Wentz, he couldn't have won that game last week. No, that's he would have made a a, 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 mis- a too big of mistakes, and he would have sort of cratered. Ryan was bad, but it, it, I know what you're saying. It was a different sort of bad. Uh, the old and with the O line, it was 
they were bad. They gave up five sacks yeah. and one hit in four. But when he came to shove, he put him in a position to win. Yep. And, and that's they, why, like with some of these teams, you need that veteran quarterback. And to me, that was a seizing saving win for the Colts. You they know, had a win expectancy that in that game of 6.2%. That's the second lowest for a winner this year. That was only trailing the Miami Dolphins when they came back to beat Baltimore in that I, game. Yeah. I mean, like that, that's a season saving win. If completely Colts agree, him, Wright's probably out there. You know what I mean? It's a completely different story. Now, like you're back in this, you, you got a chance to win this division and get stuff going in the right direction. Get Shaq Leonard back. Uh, Alex Pierce is looking great. I did a deep dive. Frank Wright at home as a favorite of two and a half or to a pickup six and oh ATS flip side at home. He's one, two and two against the Jags. Um, you know, Colts worst graded offense in the league per uh, pro football outsiders. Um, you know, the Jags, they're dead last in DVOA. They're dead last in passing dead last in rushing uh, offensive DVOA. And their offensive line is 31st in adjusted line yards, 30th in sack. I mean, they're bad in a lot of, in a lot of metrics, but I, it's it feels like a, another decent spot for them. So you like the Colts in this spot? Sometimes I, I have nothing in this spot. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't I either. Do in this spot, and I'll be honest. Whoever loses this game, I'm probably gonna look at South Futures because they'll have a lot of value yeah, in a division that. that's still wide open and that not will separate a whole lot of teams. So we may just be able to get the best value on whoever it is you know, next week or after this game. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Let's uh, continue along as we move to Vikings Dolphins. So we have the Vikings. So this is Teddy B, right? Well, this is the thing. Like he hasn't been cleared yet. It looks, I don't know. He hasn't been cleared yet. I kind of think the NFL is just kind of handing it to, um, to the Dolphins for how stuff, Happen. For how they handle for the how they handled the the whole situation, I think they're really just kind of handling it and kind of making a, a point out of it. Uh, the Dolphins, you know, per Rappaport, planning to start Skylar Thompson this week and have Teddy Bridgewater as backup. So, you know, that's that's that looks like it's going to do. Um, so because of, for anyone oh, that didn't know, because of what happened, Will Massa. McDaniel's going to start Tyler Thompson Sunday, regardless if Teddy Bridgewater is cleared. Okay. So Skylar Thompson, who, I mean, he wasn't put in a really great spot. He was a seventh round rookie playing in his first game as a third stringer. He was pressured on 18 of 35 dropbacks. He got hit 15 times, but only two sacks. Now, some of those were his fault. He held on the ball a little too long, but of all those pressures, the fact that only two resulted in sacks, he did a pretty good job there. And Hill didn't even play the last nine minutes of the game after getting stepped on coming in into the game. He had a quad injury, spotted in a walking boot after the game, but he said he's fine. Now, all of a sudden, though, you're down to your third string quarterback, left tackle, Armstead left the game with a toe injury. Hill is a little bit banged up. It's crazy in the NFL how quickly things change, right? Just a few weeks ago, this team was the darling of the league. Now, all of a sudden, they're severely banged up. And they're a three and a half point underdog here um, at home against the Vikings team. It, it it can go quickly for you, Eric. And it's not like this team ever really looked as good as their record was, 
offensively, they were fine. They're the number six DVOA, even after week five where they had the third stringer, but they're the number 25 defensive DVOA and the number 32 pass defensive DVOA. So, I mean, they have major weaknesses. Um, I look at it like this. I like on my, my stream on Tuesday night, I gave out the fins at plus three. I locked him in at plus three. I assume Bridgewater is going to play. There has to be some reason why Skylar Thompson is playing. I'm going to trust Mike McDaniel here. I think what he's doing there offensively is great. And I'm going to say it in my eyes, the Vikings are the biggest bluff in the league. Me too. At three and a half. This is for me. This is more of an anti Minnesota play than it is. Then it is. I love the dolphins in this spot, but if you're going to give me more than the three at home, yeah. against the Vikings team that, man, diving into each one of their games, like they honestly could have lost everything since week one. Week one is the only game that never felt like they were really going to lose. And they played a Green Bay team without their off- their start. Yeah. Like that was so banged up without both of those offensive linemen. Remember no, the rookie hard. wide receiver dropped the, the touchdown, the wide open touchdown early in the game. And Alexander was kind of mad about how they schemed that game and Jefferson. So like that game isn't as good and now we're seeing that the Packers overall even at their full strength aren't that great yeah and the Lions the Lions if Dan Campbell wasn't an idiot they lose they beat them they Um, they last week the Bears had them the Bears came all the way back um the Bears fumble the double doink in London and I mean like you mentioned Minnesota you mentioned Miami Minnesota 28th DVOA in defense uh 26 pass 23rd against the rush. This defensive unit isn't that good. Miami's actually decent against the rush. They're seventh DVOA. I think they're going to limit um, uh, what's his face? Uh, Cook and Madison. They're going to play this too hot, this too under man look. I think that's going to kind of limit what uh, Jefferson is going to be able to have. I think this would be more of a feeling game. I like Miami here and I live in the central north. I live in the Chicagoland area. And it has been dirt-ass cold here for the last couple of weeks. It's even colder in Miami. Now you're going to 80 degrees. Come on. Or it's even colder in Minnesota. And then colder you go from there to Miami. Yeah, yeah, you go from there to Miami. Man, I, I'm, let's. we've locked this in for our second play, Miami, plus three and a half for you and me. Jefferson, I mean, they got him the ball again last week. That was great. Cook's playing time has decreased in every game this season. Madison was used on more third downs, more two-minute drills, and in short yardage situation. Something to keep an eye on. Um, Yeah, I mean, it was a nice game for Cousins, but this defense is actually, even though they're bad, they're not necessarily, they they have a couple more playmakers on it than the Bears defense, I think. And it's it's a good spot for Miami with everything that's been happening recently to kind of be getting it over a field goal at home. We're both on the Dolphins here. Let's move to the Patriots and the Browns. So... We've got the Browns. I mean, on paper, is a great matchup just for what the Patriots want to do well and what the where the Browns are struggling. They're bad against the run because their interior defensive line is not great. And they are 30th overall in defensive DVOA. They Their playoff chances fell by 27% after losing that game to the Chargers. And Brissett, when you dive into his game-by-game numbers... He's been overall really, really good through a lot of these games, but there are two games where he threw awful interceptions late in the game that cost him probably both of these games. Uh, I mean, 
They had a chance to win this game late with two minutes and 44 seconds, third down. He throws an interception when they're already in field goal range. He, they would have gone up by one at least. And they still got the ball back and had a chance to win the game with a 54-yard attempt that went wide right. So now they're two and three. They could have easily, they could be five and oh. One of them wins came on a game-winning field goal. They could be one and four, yep. you know? So I look at it like this, okay? You meant what do you, you said they could easily be five and oh, correct? Yep. They've had some stuff go against their way. I said this last last week, and I'm pulling up the nut the number right here i think there's value betting the um the browns to to win it all i think i think there's value i'm pulling it up right now they are currently 60 to 1 to win it all so just to put in reference they're less than the colts which we just talked about that are a train wreck less than the dolphins everyone's banged up less than the Bengals, train wreck less than your Rams, who have some issues Less the Packers who have some, you know what I mean? Like they're less than a lot of teams that have a lot of issues. They've just had some bad breaks. This field. And they may have that built in sort of ceiling with Watson. Yeah. You're getting Watson back. So that's just, I think, I think it's worth throwing a half a unit, whatever your half a unit is, 25, 55 bucks, 10 bucks, whatever your half a unit size is. I think it's worth a financial investment of throwing a half a unit on the Browns right now. Um, in terms of this game, this is what I look at. Um, I took the Browns minus two and a half here because the Browns are number one DVOA running the ball. The Patriots are 28th DVOA defending the run. The best running back on the field is who? Nick Chubb. Chubb. 134 rushing yards last week, 105 after contact, 10 missed tackles forced on the ground, 32 missed tackles so far this year. That is 10 more then second. And when you have that rushing attack, what's that going to do? It's going to open up the passing game. You look at the wide receivers, Amari Cooper is the best wide receiver on that field. So I really think this is going to be a spot for the Browns. I think the Browns need the game more than the Patriots. I think the Patriots are getting a little bit overvalued. I agree completely. Um, I, w- I was able to get this at two and a half. And also, that's what under three you're fine with? Yep. Under three, I'm completely fine. Under three, three or under, I'm completely fine with. Um, if it I mean, gets that, three and, and a half, I wouldn't do anything. Um, Jones could be coming back. So if Jones comes back, you know, that this line could move a little bit more. Um, yeah, Chubb, you know, I gave Chubb out here, I believe, 10 to 1 to lead the NFL in rushing. You know, he's five, five ninety three. The guy's playing great. Um yeah, I just think it's a I, I just think it's a tough matchup for the Patriots, especially if a rookie going into Cleveland. Cleveland's a tough place to play. Yeah, Zappy played pretty well uh, last week. Uh, they shut down your Lions, but again, that was a Lions team who Goff isn't as good on the road. They're still dealing with some injuries. Yeah, the the Lions in that game were there five defensive backs that got hurt during the game. Yeah. I think throughout. I mean. It was pretty incredible to see that many players getting hurt. Stevenson looked really good. I mean, and he's someone that you pointed out. He is fourth among running backs in success rate. And he is also, um, he's like all of the advanced metrics that you're looking at. He's towards the, the, the top, which, you know, you wouldn't have necessarily thought of Stevenson as one of those guys, but 
He had 113 yards after contact last week. He had 25 carries after the Harris injury and they run the ball well, but I'm with you at at under three. Let's write down the Browns and maybe that'll be uh, another one of ours because I think they're still getting a little bit undervalued right now. And I still think the Patriots are getting a little bit overvalued here. So let's take the Browns minus the two and a half right now as uh, we continue along. You know, I'm surprised I'm not like, I'm surprised you're not jumping out, but now and after the Dodgers just tied it up. I know we're, we're, we're recording for everyone that's listening. We're recording on Wednesday night, right during the, the start of the Dodger game, which is great because, you know, if I'm going to have to record at one point, I'd rather do it at the start than at the end. Right. But in the first inning, they gave up a home run. I was sort of watching. And then right there, I kind of paused for a second when I was like, just to see if it was going to creep over the fence and the Freeman ball just got over. So brand new ball game as uh, the Dodgers head to the second inning. And uh, we had to talk about the Jets and the Packers. So the Packers built an early lead last week. And remember, they played in London last week. And then I was really, really kind of confused by what they were doing in the second half. So they scored zero points. They had a 63% rushing success rate, but they kept throwing the ball. They had a negative 0.51 EPA per play against the Giants passing without their best quarterback. Rodgers was 0 for 5 on attempts of 20 or more yards down the uh, in the air and 0 for 4 in the second half. And the offensive line actually played pretty well. They only gave up one sack, one hit, and just two hurries. But that was a bad loss for a Packers team that had a banged-up starting quarterback, was missing all of its top wide receivers. Last week, they played a Patriots team that had Zappy playing, and they almost lost. And... I mean, they let the Giants score on five straight drives. This team is 23rd in defensive DVOA. They are 30th in defensive run DVOA. They have major weaknesses, Eric, this this Packers team. And while I don't necessarily think that the Jets are a good football team, this is a, a kind of a good spot at this right moment for the Jets here in that they've been running the ball pretty well lately and they're playing against the team that's struggling that's not good against the run and a team that just came back from London and you were pointing out the facts about the teams returning from London I'm a little bit worried just because the Jets come off of like such a big win and they crushed such an opponent and like this is a young team with a young coach like how are they going to respond and this feels sort of like a moment when the Packers you know have one of their better performances of the year. That's the only thing that scares me is like, this felt like a play against for the jets too, but man, like at over a touchdown, I'm almost enticed to play the jets in here. Talk to us about this one. So the the important thing to remember is this coaching staff, very familiar with themselves. Um, The jets offensive coordinator and um, Mike LaFleur brothers with Matt LaFleur, very tight. Matt LaFleur and Robert um, Sala, I always say his Sala, name. you got it. There we go. Um, I mean, these guys have been coaching together since they were grad assistants at Central Michigan University. They stood up in each other's weddings. These guys are insanely close. So the one thing that does kind of take me to the Jets is LaFleur is not going to blow him out just because of how tight they are. Just to you rub know? it in. Yeah. Yeah, he's not going to do that. Um, my worry with betting the Jets is this. I never want to bet a team when they're valued the most. Yeah. The only and thing is, right is the Jets are. So it, it, does the number say that or? The, 
like well, is it built into the number or just sort of like the narrative because if this game was un- and and that's what see because that's where i've been re- trying to like and, that, and w- that's a great point something that we have to differentiate or like is it something that you differentiate because i try to look at things and see if a lot of people are talking about it but it still doesn't feel like it's built into the number i don't worry as much but then on the flip side should you worry more does that mean that a lot of sharp money has come on the other side to even things out? It's one of those things that's sort of hard to determine. I think it's sort of a case by case for me that like, I wouldn't play the jets in here at even seven or six and a half. I think I would need the seven and a half and above. Cause then I feel like that's still value. And maybe the jets aren't valued, but I agree. Like, man, when you dive into that game, I mean, the, the dolphins were in the game late. And it, yeah, the and score I mean, was not nearly down. as bad as it should. They drove down. and With the chance to they, take the lead in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and they missed that field goal. And that's when the uh, – that's kind of when everything soda what, – what's the word I'm looking for? It, just lot. like quicksand. Yeah, it was just the last – they scored three touchdowns, I think, in the in the fourth quarter. Just boom, boom, boom. Um, but I, that's, that's what makes this game difficult. Like, I'm leaning Jets. They were seventh in EPA per play last week. It was their first – uh, win since week 12 of the 2019 season that was by multiple scores and yeah. Wilson was like decent that's that's again what you were saying about Matt Ryan in a situation like that where the Jets were playing a third string quarterback a Miami team that's probably a little bit shell-shocked by what's going on because they're dealing with that in the middle of the game all you need is your quarterback to not be a, like a train wreck that game you know, yeah. all you need is them to just not make a bunch of mistakes and you're probably going to be in good shape. And you know what? That's what Wilson did last week. 14 for 21, two big time throws, no turnover worthy plays, only his third career start without a turnover worthy play. And the defense put pressure on Miami. Hall looked really good. First Jets rookie in history to finish with 100 yards receiving and a rushing touchdown. He had 197 yards from rushing. He almost had 100 rushing and receiving yards. Coming into the week, they had one rushing touchdown this year. They had five on Sunday, but I, is this enough for you to get on the Jets here? The only thing I'm looking at is this, and again, it's hard because none of these numbers are out. Uh, Green Bay 30th DVOA, they're giving up 80.6 yards per game to lead to lead opposing running backs. Um, I, I I'm interested in Bryce Hall's prop that would be the only thing that i would um that would look into getting invested in and like i said if it's like in the 80 range i wouldn't get it the market adjusted last week because both damian harris and stevenson went over the rushing prop and it hung in 83 and a half for saquon barkley who finished with 70 so if this is in the 60 range i'll be investing in bryce hall if not i'm just gonna pass Let's get to 49ers versus Falcons. 3-2 49ers, the 2-3 and three Falcons. As uh, we see this line at about San Francisco, minus 5.5 on the road, over under around 44.5. So for the Falcons, they had a brutal roughing the, call pass, uh, roughing the passer call late in the game. That cost them the chance to win that game. It was not a penalty at all. They would have gotten the ball back with a chance to win. Pitts was out. London only ran like 22 of the 34 pass plays, saw a career low of offensive snaps, which was kind of weird. Now, the 49ers, 
they're starting to have some injuries pile up, Eric. On the defensive side, last week we had what Bosa, Kinla, Mosley uh, injuries, and yep. uh, Bosa was the league leader in sacks and pressures. They have that really nice sort of system where they just run the ball really well. Wilson ran the ball 120 yards on 17 carries, four explosive runs. You know, Jimmy G, for all the crap that he gets, and you've pointed this out a few times, he is 35 and 15 in his first 50 starts as a quarterback with a 99 passer rating in those games. Since 1970, there have been two quarterbacks who have won 35 of their first 50 starts with a 98 or higher passer rating, Jimmy G and Mahomes. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy what he's doing. Um, Yeah, and that's – I had a real big issue, and I wasn't financially invested in the Falcons game at all with how that ended because that's the second week in a row Jerome Broger has made a god-awful roughing the passer call. Most people, actually everyone in America, if they're bad at their job or they mess up with their job, what do they do? They get fired. He's got nothing. When you factor in now that gambling is legal and the NFL is partnering partnering with sports books, that's just a bad overall look. And there's been no word from Roger Gazzagal. There's been no word from the NFL officials. And then you have Tom Brady saying, well, I'm not the one that throws the flags. You know what I mean? I'd have... I'd have more respect for him if he was like, look, dude, it was a bad call. We took advantage of it. You know what I mean? Instead of like being that smug. Um, This game to me, I took the Falcons at plus five and a half. I think that's the play here. I mean, Armstead, Armstead isn't even with the team right now. The team stayed on the West East coast. They didn't go back and forth. They stayed on the East coast. They're staying They're They're training in West Virginia this week. Um, He's not even there. You mentioned Bosa is not even there. Bosa's hurt. Also, Kinlaw and Ekwam are hurt. So the, the 49ers could be out without their starting four defensive linemen. Robbie Gold is hurt. He's supposed to get evaluated on Friday. He suffered a left knee injury. He they may not even have a kicker. You mentioned Mosley, Jimmy Wood is Jimmy Ward is hurt, and they're down all the way to their third string tackle. This team is really beat up. And this was an interesting trend. Now, I, I wasn't able to find if this if if a team stayed on the East Coast and went back, but teams that are playing back-to-back East Coast games that are on the West Coast, 46% ATS. And that second game. The second game. Um, you know, Shanahan, I say it every week. There's certain games that I love that I you know what I mean? There's certain teams. Certain coaches I like to take as as dogs. Certain coach I like to fade as favorites. That's my boy Shanahan. He's forty percent ATS as a favorite. I think this is a huge spot to to fade the 49ers, who I think are a little inflated in the market after winning on Monday Night Football and putting Matt Rule to death after that embarrassing game. So I I like the Falcons here. I'm going to be on the five and a half. I've I actually I'm already investing the five and a half, and at plus two hundred, I think the money line's worth a buy too. Yeah, you know, their offensive line isn't playing particularly well individually. As a unit, they did a pretty good job, like, scheming around some of their weaknesses, and they li- they limited some uh, negative plays. But the special teams you mentioned with gold, and then there's also been the, uh, the kick returns, the kickoff returns. They gave up 48, 45-yard kick returns. They had a field goal blocked for the second time this year. Let's make the Falcons one of our plays, plus the five and a half. 
Let's are move we, to. Are, are we turning into an Atlanta, Atlanta Falcons football show? I mean, we love the Falcons here. They, they've at least been able to counter our uh, our Baker and Panthers uh, losses for the most part. So l- luckily that we've had the Falcons give us the the good the good so far, and then we've been killed by the Panthers. I think I think when I was diving in, four of our losses this year out of the eleven I mean, that we have, like, it's like I'll be honest. We'll get to the game. There on my I can't bet list. Uh, right now, for a little while, I just can't. No, I just, I just can't. And like, this would be the week you'd want off of the coaching bump, maybe you'd think. But then the fact that they have a quarterback that's hurt, it's not as if Baker's been playing great, but PJ's had a couple starts that have been really bad. A couple well, that have been okay, but a couple that have been really something bad. And I'll pass it on when we talk to that game. So let's go Tampa versus Pitt. Attaboy, Kershaw, as we uh, continue along. See, Tampa. Like, you're riding out Kershaw. And I'm grinding out Wheeler over five and a half strikeouts where he just gave up something when he was ahead. Oh, two and a half. That's right. Yeah. We got the screen to screen action going on as uh, we move to Tampa versus Pitt. So we've got, man, the Steelers. Like, this is about as bad as it's been for them. I mean, honestly, since before Ben, right? Because they haven't had a losing season since Tomlin. And at least when Ben was there, even in the last few years when he was not good, they sort of felt like they weren't one of the worst teams in the league. You still had like a quarterback there. You still had sort of an identity. Man, this this is a hard team to get excited about, but this is the type of situation that our guy Tomlin does get excited about when they just got crushed by the Bills. And I got to say, that was pretty cheap what the Bills were doing late in that game to pick it, you know, going after the legs and stuff. Like, I just didn't think that was really necessary. Um, but, I mean, there's not much been watching the Steelers game that I get excited about or that I can take as a positive to play them. I can just say that this is a good spot for them coming back home, being really undervalued because everyone just saw them get crushed. And then you have Tampa who won a game that we both just said, they may not even have won that game if the correct call was made in the roughing the passer call late. Like Atlanta would have had the ball back with a chance late in the game. The, I mean, the Steelers, they couldn't get a sack now. They've just had three sacks in the last four games since Watt got hurt. Last week, they threw the ball 52 times. They had just three points. That margin of defeat is the worst for the Steelers. But it was sort of hard. Like, I'm not going to come out of that game and take a lot of analysis in like the game by game, in the game, like played down to down stuff. They were playing the Bills with Pickett making their first start on the road in a really tough situation. Warren, the running back, has actually looked kind of interesting. He's been a little bit better than Harris. Harris looks Harris hurt. hurt. He's right. Hurt. I mean, he's been 36th in success rate, three yards per carry. Warren has more avoided tackles per carry, higher first down rate, higher yards after contact per carry than Harris. Um, but like, let's go to Tampa. A couple things to point out for them. Big game for Fournette last week. He led the Bucks in carries, rushing yards, rushing touchdowns, targets, receptions, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns. Pass blocking unit held up pretty well. They didn't allow a sack on the day, holding the Falcons to just four total pressures and a 10% pass rush win rate. But they gave up two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, and they had a chance to lose the game. Gave up big plays on the ground. Mariota had 61 yards rushing. The defense, though, did put pressure on 36% of the dropbacks, five sacks there. And Brady, this was a cool stat. Doesn't really have much to do with like how you handicap these games moving forward. But Brady won his 23rd game when he attempted 50 passes, oh, including wow. the playoffs. 
no other quarterback since 1950, when, when these stats started being kept, has more than five wins when they've attempted 50. Because for any other quarterback, if you're throwing the ball 50 times, you're down big, right, Eric? But for Brady, he's been able to turn that short passing game into basically a running game. And there's so few teams and players who can actually throw the ball so accurate, so quickly, have that quick release, are smart. They can read the defenses as Brady. I mean, this this really doesn't wouldn't work if you tried to replicate it in a bunch of different places. He's just like a savant. Yeah. I mean, I would what he's he whines a lot and I'm not, a, you know, and that kind of annoys me, but yeah. you know, he's just at a whole different level. You mentioned the Tomlin spot, 65% ATS, 84% AT, 65% ATS is a dog, excuse me, 84% as a home dog. This is the Mike Tomlin spot. If they had Watt on the defensive line, this defense is night and day with no Watt. I can't get anything invested in the Steelers. I got to stay away I think. Not in it. And I like, look, I know people are getting love for Kenny Pickett in the market. I just don't like Kenny Pickett. Like, I just, you know what? He, he I haven't seen anything where I'm going to like get involved in it. I don't like, you know, like when you see the writing on the wall that a wide receiver is going to turn into one of these prima donna wide receivers. Yes. I see that with Pickens. Um, and Najee Harris is hurt and Deontay Johnson still has his drop issues. I, I don't, I just, I just can't get involved. No, now watch the Steelers win by 14. I know we both want to, it feels like the spot. If this got to 10, would you get involved? I am no, no, it's just, I, a, not, you can't, I can't, like I said, I will not bet the Steelers you need to see more. Yeah. Let's move to Cardinals Seahawks. So man, Gino through five games, number one in offensive grade and in passing grade. Last week, he had five big-time throws, three passing touchdowns, and just one turnover-worthy play. The Seattle team, they're pretty simple. They're the number one offensive DVOA and number 31 in defensive DVOA. They have a fun offense. They have a terrible defense. In the last four weeks, they've allowed more than 34 points per game which is dead last in the league. And last week they couldn't stop the saints who weren't the greatest offense coming into the week. They allowed Hill and Kamara to both rush for a hundred yards. And now for them offensively, Penny has a fractured tibia. So it was about Walker getting his first real opportunity. And Max Muncy hits one out Muncy. There we go. After the struggle of Max Muncy this year, it's been a brand new season. For him, uh, I'm, I love that when people listen to this like Thursday and Friday and Saturday, they're hearing us talking about the Wednesday baseball games that uh, that we're watching live. But on the opposite side, Arizona as a three point favorite on the road, they come in off a game, man, that they feel like they should have won. They had a chance to tie the game late. Murray, combination of things. Now I him I had heard that on the board at at the field. They flashed first down up on the screen so that Kyler Murray, if you were in the stadium after he slid, they put first down up there. So he may have thought, looking up at the board, it was a first down. Um, Now, altogether, 
this just feels like something that would happen to the Cardinals and Cliff Kingsbury and a team that's just, and Kyler, like a team that's not all that well prepared, or maybe these are the kind of little things that you worry about with both Cliff and with Kyler. And they kicker misses a 43 yard field goal. This team has not scored in the first quarter one time this year. I mean, you can't do that every week. Like every single week, you can't just hope that Kyler's going to come back and play hero ball for you. And they had another big game for Brown. And Moore also had a nice game for Arizona. This is probably a DFS game, right, Eric? Yeah, definitely a DFS game. I absolutely love it. Um, Are we on Geno here at plus the three? I've already locked it in. I gave it out last night. You know, Carroll, 61% ATS is a dog. Gino, um, Gino, Gino. 67% ATS is a home dog. And Kingsbury, you know, he fits in this thing. You know, when he's a dog favorite, I don't I don't bet him. I like to fade him. He's 36% ATS is a favorite. You mentioned the Seattle's having the top rate offense per DVOA, number one passing attack. Cardinals 26 overall. And when passing, they are 27th. Um, the two rookie tackles who I thought could struggle a little bit coming in are playing lights out. And with how the Seattle blocks, Kenneth Walker's running style actually fits better he's more of uh, i think Le'Veon bell you know just kind of linger behind the line wait for the whole develop then they go that's what walker does and that actually fits um what he likes to do uh what, how walker likes to run um and are you ready for this i'm ready coaches that have won a super bowl you have to be a good coach to win a super bowl right sure yeah kingsbury is 43 percent ats against a coach that has won a super bowl they just are, it's just like playing chess against someone that's just a yeah. different level than you, right? And yeah. then go play one-on-one against like a college basketball player and if you think you're any good and they'll just just destroy you, you know? It's kind of like that video that went around when someone was playing Scalibur, that high school. Yes, coach. the pickup. Oh yeah, that was great. Um, And one more thing to remember is who did the Cardinals play last week? The Eagles. And what happens yeah. after the war of attrition, yeah. Yeah. after playing yeah. the Eagles, they get beat up. And that was like, that was a big game for the Cardinals, right? You're at home. You got an undefeated Eagles team coming. You're in this game all the way to the end. And it's sort of like emotional because you lose that way at the end. And now you got to kind of play a Seattle team that, I mean, they've been scoring, but you don't really think of them as a game that you circled on. You're like, oh, Geno Smith, he's probably going to come back to life. I just, I like this spot right away. I like the immediately one of the teams I, after the Eagles game last week that I wanted to play against, not only because of your angle with the playing against the teams after the Eagles game, but just the way that game went. Like, you know, you get up for the big games against the big teams, and that was a big game for them. Okay, we're on Seattle. Gino, Gino. Let's get to Panthers versus the Rams. So we got Matt Rule out. Matt Rule was 11 and 27 overall, fired now from the Panthers. 1 and 28 when teams scored more than 17 points against him. They had Baker starting quarterback uh, for the first five games. His his QBR in the first five was 16.8. That is the second worst of any quarterback to start their team's first five games since they started tracking the stat in 2006. Now, Eric, trivia time for you, because I know you like playing these little games. Only one quarterback has had a worse QBR in their first five games. They started all five for a team. 
since 2006. And my only hint will be, this is like a notorious bad quarterback that like gets talked about in like the all time bads that, you know, that, that a team thought this guy was their franchise guy. He wasn't like a backup. This was someone that a team wanted to build their franchise around. And I'll give you one more hint. Scissorp. He was sipping on some Scissorp. Drew Locke. Jamarcus Russell. Oh. <laughs> the only one who's been worse than Baker in the first five games yeah, of a year to start for that. a new team was Jamarcus Russell. I completely and forgot about that, dude. So Baker actually had a decent game last week. He finished 14th overall on quarterback grade in the week. But, I mean, they entered last week with a 25% conversion rate on third down. They were three for 15 on Sunday. It, uh, like, P.J. Yeah. Walker starting. He's he's funny because XFL guy. He had a 47% completion rate in the games where he's had 10 passes or more. But he's actually had two games where he passed for 20 or more. And in those games, he was really good. Because, I mean, he must have been throwing the ball well, so they kept passing. He had a 70% completion percentage twice in the games where he threw the ball a lot. The games where he throws like 12, 15 times, he's been pretty bad. This team was 31st in offensive DVOA. It It's a great spot for the Rams because they're playing a team that normally would get a little bit of a bump, but Carolina has a bad quarterback here. Their offense has been miserable. Like, if the Rams lose this game, they really, really should be worried. The Rams are in kind of a nice spot and not a spot where I'd want to bet them in this game at all. But for the Rams, they can hopefully get a little healthy on their bye and maybe try to figure a few things out. Can you play anything in this game? I mean, this number is 10. That is absurdly high for the Rams. I would want to play Carolina, but you had said they're on your no-play list. Yeah, I mean... I. You got one side, you got PJ Walker versus Aaron Donald. Um, from what I'm being told is if Mayfield needed to go, he could go, if that makes sense. Um, so I, I don't really know if it's a legit injury thing or they're just kind of, you know what I mean? They're just kind of making a switch. Um, yeah. Walker with his RPO stuff on McCaffrey does bring another element to the table. Um, my worry with the Rams is this. Carolina's front is actually decent. Yeah, the Rams have a million issues going on with the offensive line, which has been a huge issue. They're not able to run the ball. Uh, Akers, Henderson, you know, they just haven't looked the same. <laughs> right it's, now, which, I, I, I'm i not doing anything. I have the Rams submitted as my survivor pick, and I'm seriously con- thinking, contemplating changing it to the Browns just because I'm that worried with how bad their offensive line is. The only thing that makes me not quite as worried is the opponents they've played in those games that they've looked really bad in that they played the 49ers, the Cowboys and the bills. So if we're talking about some of the best defenses in the league, those three teams are on there. I mean, that's literally the one and two defensive DVOA teams and Dallas is sixth in overall. So, but you're right. Carolina, like their strength, their defensive front is not bad. I'm just hoping that the offensive line will look a little bit more competent against not one of the top, top tier defensive fronts, but man, they're, 
There haven't been a lot of things to get excited about with the Rams. They allowed 24 pressures on 46 pass blocking snaps. That's 52% pressure rate. That's the third highest. A million. Oh my God. They had so much stuff go wrong for them last week. It was amazing how much stuff they had to go wrong with them. So I did. They're due for some stuff. They're due for some luck. You know what I mean? They're due for some stuff to go their way. They only scored 19 points over the last two weeks. They ranked 29th in points, 26th in total offense. Worst start since Sean McVay has been a head coach. I mean, again, it's not like rocket science when you look at them. They're banged up. They have a bad offensive line. They have the worst running game. They average 62.4 ground yards per game, and that's last. So because of that, you're not running the ball. You put more pressure on Stafford, who whether he's not completely healthy or whether he's trying to overcompensate for a bad line and not a great running game and not the great weapons other than cup. It's all like related 21 sacks, which is an NFL high seven interceptions NFL high. And they've scored the fifth fewest points ever by a reigning super bowl champion in the first five games of their title defense. The other four teams all missed the playoffs. Now, the nice thing or the difference for the Rams, they have the highest total of those five teams and there are more playoff teams now than in those years before. So they may have a little bit more leeway than some of the other teams, but they're not in great shape. But again, the defense played pretty well last week. They hold they held Dallas to 10 completions in 102 passing yards. Nine of Dallas's 22 points came off Rams turnovers. So defensively, they're... Okay, their their numbers will start to even out, I think, on the defensive side. But this offensive line, man, they they've been they've been struggling. Eric, let's move to our final two games. We've got Sunday night and oh, we got three games. Excuse me, we've got uh, Bills, KC, Dallas, Philly, and then Denver Chargers. Let's go Bills, Kansas City. This is the big one, the big rematch from last year, where the Bills end up losing uh, that tight, tight, back-and-forth, incredible game. The Bills come off of their monster victory where they beat the Steelers easily last week. Um, Allen might have been able to break the record for uh, all-time passing yards if the game was closer. He had 348 yards passing and four touchdowns at halftime. All-time record is 554 yards in a game. I mean, they were up 38-3. to They had no reason to keep, to keep going. Then you have Kansas City, who may—I mean, they had a— Bad, another bad play, a bad penalty call in their game that really flipped everything when they sacked Carr and it was called a roughing the passer call and it actually gave points to the Raiders and took the ball away from the Chiefs when they would have been in scoring range. They came back to one win, but it really flipped the scoring in that game. And it was probably a flat spot for Kansas City. I mean, this is one of the games of the year that people have circled for a while and the Bills are a two-and-a-half-point favorite on the road going to KC over under 54. Talk to us about this one. I see some threes in the market. Um, how I'm, Now, look, this game opened up a Chiefs minus one, and right now you can get Chiefs plus two or Chiefs minus plus three. To me, this just screams take the Chiefs if you're going to bet it at all. I really don't want to bet it because, for me, I feel this is the game with how that game ended last year that the bills have circled that the bills totally agree. This is their super bowl oh, before the super bowl, but, but I do have a play, a player prop that I'm going to be targeting. Okay. The Kansas city chiefs give up the most receiving yards 
two opposing running backs. Week one, James Conner went over his prop. Week two, Austin Eckler went over his prop. Week three, Jonathan Taylor went over his prop. Week four, Leonard Fournette went over his uh, receiving prop on the first play of the game. Week five, Joshua Jacobs went over his receiver prop. I, they're giving up 5.8 receptions and 40 yards a game, receiving to opposing running backs. Devin Singletary is averaging 40 yards receiving a game. They also have some injuries in the wide receiver room, so he's going to be a factor. This prop's going to be somewhere 25, 26. I'm just going to take the over in that. That's the only thing I'm going to do in this game and just sit I, back and enjoy it. I had that Jacobs one there too. I agree with you. Like I like the Bills here, but that the number is not great. I, I just don't want to take the Bills in that spot. Like I think the Bills – you missed yeah. the number. Like, you missed out. And I, was, I wouldn't have played that earlier, but like if this got to three, then I think you buy in at Kansas City. Absolutely. Yeah. Mahomes 7 0 oh, 1 as a dog in his career. Um, And like I talked about it Tuesday night on my stream. Like, don't play a bad number with how live betting is. There's a million opportunities to bet now. It doesn't make sense for people to play bad numbers. Just sit back, wait to see if you get a better number on the Bills if that's the side you like. If you don't, you don't, and just enjoy the game. Let's move to Cowboys-Eagles Sunday night football here. Big game as these two teams have had really nice starts to the year. Looked like Dak uh, got hurt in week one. It was going to be tough for the, the Dallas Cowboys, but Cooper Rush has stepped in. He's won four consecutive games, and he's now 5-0 and as a starter. He uh, has a QBR that's ahead of Jalen, Brady, and Burrow. He has a higher-than-expected drop rate at 5.1%. His average throw has traveled 8.1 yards in the air, which would rank 10th since Week 2. A lot of good metrics for him. They've beaten both the Bengals and the Rams, the two teams that were in the Super Bowl last year. And Rush was sacked three times, fumbled twice, but the Cowboys did get both of those fumbles. Now, he's played well, but last week was the week where he kind of came back to life a little bit. Dallas was 23rd in EPA per play on offense last week. So there was only one team that had a lower offensive EPA per play in a win last week, and that was the Colts. It's been all about their defense. Um, you know, they only had four first downs throwing the ball, 102 yards passing on 19 dropbacks. And Lawrence had a strip sack and a fumble recovery for a touchdown in the first quarter. And the defense had three takeaways, sacked Stafford five times, knocked him down 11 times. It was a nice game for Pollard who had eight carries, 86 yards, and a touchdown over a 90-grade on pro football focus rushing. On those eight carries, three missed tackles, and 75 yards after contact. 14 fewer carries than Elliott, but he still outrushed him. And then we have the, the Eagles here, who have been you know the best team in football so far. They're 5-0. and Hertz is now over 1,300 yards rushing in his first 24 starts, 19 rushing touchdowns in his first uh, tw- in the first 25 games, which passes Cam for the most by a quarterback in the first 25 Brown had a quiet day yesterday and they're still able to win, which I love. You try to try to take Brown out. Then you have Goddard 95 yards, Smith 87 yards. You have you no know, defensive playmakers like Reddick six pressures tw- on 28 pass rushing snaps. You have the rookie defender, Jordan Davis, who had three tackles and two, st- uh, two stops. And the offensive line was really good. Eric only nine pressures on the 40 snaps total. And they were playing without a left tackle. And, you know, they lost their left guard and their center for part of the game. Right guard was coming into the game with an ankle injury. So they, they've been able to patch it together even with some issues there. They had a different approach, a lot of screen passes last week. 
What do you think about the Eagles Cowboys Sunday night football? This is going to be the best offensive line that the Cowboys have played. Um, you like we talk about every week. Sometimes the ball just bounces the way. Sometimes you get lucky. With everything going on, I'm still completely dumbfounded how Dallas was able to win that game last week against your Rams. Um, just what you look at all the metrics, all the yardage, the the clock, the plays, how Cooper Rush played. Rams should have won that. Um, number opened up at four. It's at six right now. I just don't I, – I can't do anything because I, I missed the number because I liked Philly here. I'll look to take Philly live. The one thing I'm kind of interested in is – this trend of primetime unders, which is becoming general knowledge in the general public now, I think this total is a little too low at 41 and a half. I would lean to the over of 41 and a half, and I'd look to play some Miles Sanders prop because the weakness of the Cowboys defense is the rushing attack. Let's continue along to Monday night football. We have Broncos, Chargers. We have uh, the Chargers who come on come into the week had a good week running the ball they were number one in epa per rush of all teams that played for uh, they played last week they ran for 238 yards and seven yards per carry they came in to the week ranked number 25 now with one minute and 13 seconds left to go on their own 46 they went for it on fourth and one to a short pass they missed it they like put the browns in field goal range with a chance you know to win the game it was actually the right call Based on just percentages there, I just I don't know if I love the play, especially when Eckler was running so well. He had five runs of 10-plus yards or more on the Broncos' side. Wilson has just been bad, man. Uh, and now he looks like he's hurt. He suffered a partially torn lat in week four. He had two interceptions last week, four turnover-worthy plays, finished behind Matt Ryan with 32 of 33 quarterbacks who took snaps. The only quarterback who was below him was Case Keenum, who was in mop-up duty for Buffalo. The defense continues to play well. I mean, that's how they're going to win games on the defensive side with Chubb, Jones, Purcell, uh, Sertain. Um, they just offensively and, and this coaching staff. He is Russ is two for 18 on pass attempts to the end zone. A completion rate of 11%. That is the worst in the NFL among quarterbacks with 10 or more. These, late in the game, all they have to do is just run the ball or take a couple chances. They throw the ball in the end zone in interception, which gives the Colts the ball in new life. It's like, you can't even believe these things as they happen. It's amazing. It is absolutely amazing what is going on and how bad he looks. And it kind of makes you think um, with how good Seattle looks. And this is how Walder and Juan, the offense to look last year, but for whatever reason, Wilson was against it. You know, like, was Wilson the issue? Because because Carroll was getting, like, you know, dragged through the mud. I think Wilson was a little bit more of an issue. You know, you have all these reports coming out about him having a torn lat. Um, you know, there's, like, I, and it's been going on for a while. There's a rule in the NFL you have to report injuries. You can't, you know what I mean? You can't just have a player out there. I know who has an injury that means this is like one of those after the fact injuries to try to make it sound a little bit better. I think yeah, it's just, they, they have so much issue. How can you trust Hackett? But on the flip side, who are the chargers to be playing this many points? You know what I mean? Like I just, this is a game for me. I, 
unless I see some sort of trend with a player prop or something, um, I would kind of stay away. I know Denver does give up a lot of yards to the tight end. Maybe a sneaky thing, get some Gerald Everett props. I'd look at that. Um, yeah, that'd be the only thing I would kind of look look into doing here. Eric, we have Washington in a pick'em. Miami plus three and a half. The Browns minus two and a half. The Falcons plus five and a half. And Seattle plus three for our five plays. That's Eric, five no, that's five and zero, oh, baby. Let's go. Eric will be with me on Friday to talk some college football at six o'clock p.m. Eastern time at BTV Bets. Also Sunday at BTV Bets, eleven o'clock a.m. Eastern time for our full Sunday NFL preview. Eric, tell us what else you have going on this week. Oh my God, I got a, way too much stuff. Uh, every Saturday, I go on my buddy uh, Jason's podcast, his Strictly ATS, and we each give out our five best bets of the weekend. Uh, my podcast comes out Friday. Uh, I'm going to be with you on the Santa Anita Pick'em Show over the weekend. And I'm doing yeah, a on that. UFC preview with uh, the DFS Bachelor, Kyle. Eric, buddy, thank you so much. So much going on. Let's go watch some of these games and some of our action here. Good luck to you this weekend. And I'll be talking to you again a lot over the next few days. Sounds good. Talk soon, dude. Make sure to give Eric a follow. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, folks. And if you want more up-to-the-date, uh, up-to-date information on NFL Sunday, 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time, Sunday morning at BTV Bets. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. 
every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com better you want to spread your pony knowledge Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Friday morning, 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time. This weekend in Stable Duel, the best horse racing preview show that you'll find anywhere because it's different. It's fun, and we only give out prices. We only give out horses that are 5 to 1 and above. We don't even bother with the chalk. We skip those races. We all give out the, the best bets, and we talk all about the Stable Duel contest for the weekend this weekend on Friday, you can play at Keeneland. So we'll have a lot of Keeneland Friday. Gulfstream, Laurel, also contest options for Friday for you. Saturday, two different games at Keeneland. You can play for 10 bucks or for 50 Gulfstream and Santa Anita have contest options. Then on Sunday, Keeneland, Santa Anita, Los Alamitos jumps in the mix. So Sunday, a couple different options for you. Remember, this is like a fantasy horse racing game. It's horse racing contest where you build your lineups based on a salary cap format. So you can't just use the chalk in every single race. Let's talk about Friday Keeneland, then we'll jump into Saturday Keeneland and Saturday Santa Anita with that mandatory payout in the rainbow pick six on Saturday at Santa Anita. For Keeneland for Friday, let's move to race number two. We're looking at October the 14th. I'm looking at the second race made in $50,000 claimers. I like Sailor's Chance a little bit, dropping in class, the blinkers coming on, cutting back, getting back to dirt with a lot of winning dirt siblings. I think it's a good spot for Sailor's Chance. I love the turn back from the mile to six and a half here. I'm giving the four a big shot in race number two. We continue along on the Keeneland Friday card. And let's move to race number five, where we'll go for a first level allowance group mile on the turf in here i like the six and the eight as two major players two horses that i think you could use in exotics precursory is trying the turf for the first time she's worked on the turf a few times so they've gotten a look at her on it her lone sibling won on the turf and she's really never run a bad race she debuted in the slop in may at belmont sprinting and there was nothing wrong with her second and third starts Her, her second start she was third beaten just a couple lengths in her third start she ran well but she was well defeated that day after some early trouble and the horse that she finished in front of came right back to win 
And then in her fourth start, she broke her maiden, and she beat a next-out winner. I think she's got some ability here. I'll use her along with the eight. Isn't she lovely? Who's going to go second start off the long layoff? That's in race number five. Continuing along on the Friday card at Keeneland. Where are we going to go next? Let's move to race number seven. Where we have a maiden special weight. They're going a mile and a sixteenth on the turf in here. These are two-year-old fillies. I like the eight, Mystify. She debuted on August the 20th at Ellis Park in a five and a half furlong turf sprint. And her race was very good. She was a bit slow to get going. Um but the but she moved from about ninth of ten in between horses and she was in traffic. She kind of loomed up into contention. But the top two had separated. She ended up finishing fourth there. It was a pretty good performance. She has three winning turf siblings out of five that tried the turf. And one of them that didn't win on it was just 0 for 1. Her dam won on the turf. I think she'll be better going longer. I like the eight Mystify in race number seven. If we can get anything around five to one, I'll make a win wager there. Moving along to race number, going to the ninth race here. Yeah, let's go to race number nine which is the grade three Sycamore. They'll go a mile and a half on the turf course in here. I like the 10, Baltus. Baltus is a big price, double-digit price on the morning line for Chad Brown. This guy's on the upswing. One more step forward puts him right in contention. His first two races weren't good, but both of them were followed by layoffs, so there may have been some physical issues. When he returned to the races this year in April, he was second beaten in neck, followed by three consecutive really nice wins. I don't think he would be entered in a spot like this if Chad Brown felt like he was over his head. The number 10, Baltus, in race number 9, will use in all exotics, and I think should offer you very nice value there in you know late pick 4, late pick 5s. So that's Friday over at Keeneland. Best of luck Friday playing the races at Keeneland as we turn the page to Saturday. Saturday at Keeneland, October the 15th. Let's dive into a couple races on Saturday. How about race number two? Maiden Special Eights going a mile on the turf course. I like the first-time starter in here, the number five Royal Salute, who will be making his debut for trainer Brian Lynch. Now, the dam of this one eloquently was grade three placed. She has three foals to try the turf, and two of them are winners. The sire Oscar performance was excellent on the grass, and this barn has a couple... Wins with first-time starters at seven furlongs, and one of them was at a big price at twenty-two to one. I know this is a mile, so it technically is a route, but what it shows me is that this barn is capable of getting a horse ready to fire first time out at this distance. The horse that's capable, like at a similar distance with the horse that's capable. I think Royal Salute twelve to one on the morning line. Throw into your early pick fours and early exotics. I'll make a win wager if we can get anything around eight. Let's move along at Keeneland. Where are we headed next? Let's go to race number five, which is uh, on the turf. It's a mile and a 16th allowance race here. You have some horses who are dropping out of stakes races like Moulage, Kentucky Ghost, In Love. None of them would surprise me. They're all really classy. They all fit well. I think it's a good spot for Gray's Creek. If you take a look at this six-year-old, He's also been pretty competitive in stakes races. For him, I think it's just been getting to the races. That's been his issue. He's had some physical problems along the way. He used to be in the Chad Brown barn, now in the Lobo barn. He tried the Jiper twice in his last four starts. He missed about 10 months, 
And most recently, he got a nice wake-up win over at Ellis Park. If you toss the sprints and just say that they're a little too short for him, now all of a sudden the form looks even better. And second start off the little break, with now just a few races under his belt, coming off of uh, the long layoff, I think Gray's Creek is you know, capable of firing a big, big one in here. That's race number five, the number seven, who is another double-digit horse on the morning line. If we can get anything around eight, I'd be willing to make a win wager there. Let's move along at Keeneland on the Saturday card. Where do we go next? Let's move to race number eight. Well, this is more of a, if you're playing any sort of late exotics, I wouldn't mind singling Scenic Masterpiece, whose dirt races most recently are in a couple of tough spots behind CC, Under the Stars, Two races back was behind a horse named Fun to Dream, who came back to win their next start with a 90 buyer, and he's had a she's had a little bit of trouble and not the smoothest trip. So I may single Scenic Masterpiece in a late pick four or late pick five on Saturday. In the QE2, there does not look like there's very much speed on paper in race number nine, does there on Saturday? I could see Gino Romantica and Flavian Pratt getting very aggressive, and I hope that's the case. She draws post two. Nobody else in here has any early speed, and we've at least seen her show some tactical speed in a couple of her races. I hope Pratt gets aggressive. Gina Romantica, the play for me in the QE2. So that's Saturday over at Heenland. Let's move to Santa Anita for Saturday. A big day for them on Saturday with a mandatory payout in the Rainbow Six pool. So they're projecting around $2 million in the pick six. You can play on a 20-cent-based wager Let's talk Santa Anita Saturday. Don't forget about the free Santa Anita contest every Saturday and Sunday. You could win $1,000 if you make the most correct picks mixing horse racing and other major sports props. Plus, if you make the most total selections throughout the meet, you'll end up winning $2,000. Pick'em.SantaAnita.com is the website. Go check it out right now. Every Friday... I will, I will do a live stream to show you how to sign up and to give some analysis and some thoughts if you need help putting together your lineup. This is totally free every week. You can win $1,000. So go to pick'em.sanita.com, fill out your, uh, your entry, and make sure to play every Saturday and every Sunday. You might as well. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to log in and, you know, deposit a bunch of money. All you do is register for a free account. You don't have to put your credit card in on anything. And you could win $1,000 each and every Saturday and Sunday. Pick'em.SantaAnita.com Let's head to the Rainbow Pick 6. Let's head to race number 5. Let's talk through the Pick 6 sequence for Saturday. So race number 5, we have maiden $50,000 claimers in here. The three Mentirosa... Comes off of a, a pretty good third place finish. And he looks like he's improving. He was behind King Zog. And King Zog is probably the horse to catch in here. Start them up is the wild card. That's the one. He comes out of a, a runner-up effort at, Lo, at Los Alamitos. He moved down to the inside from an outside post. And I thought he ran really well down towards the inside. And then Reign of Speed was on the flip side. Reign of Speed had a really wide trip last time out. All the way around. He was actually favored. He he really hasn't been able to get back to showing some of the speed he showed in his debut. But I had a, I had a hard time leaving him out. Probably used the 1, 2, 3, and 4 in the opening leg of the pick 6 here. Race number 5. I'll stack him 3, 2, 1, 4. 
The one is the most intriguing horse to me at the price. We move to race number six, maiden $50,000 claimers, six furlongs on the turf course here. I like the five, facetious. The blinkers come off, and he drops in class for the first time. His first two races were in turf sprints. They were both pretty good. He was fourth in his career debut with some trouble, and then he came back. He was only 5-2 to two against Maiden Special Weights in his second start. He had legitimate trouble that day. They stretched him out in his third start. He finished fourth in a field of 12 after showing some early speed, and then he had a layoff from the end of November all the way to July of this year. Shows back up in July in a dirt sprint, Shows some early speed before backing up in a race that he needed. And then in the second start off the bench, they put the blinkers on him and they stretched him out. They sent him hard. He opened up a few lengths and then he just stopped. Now he cuts back to a turf sprint. The blinkers come off. He drops in class. Third start off the long layoff. Lots of things to like about facetious. The number six, Conch Daddy, second off the short break, was claimed... For 30, then they stepped him up Now he's back in with claimers and back to turf Two of his three turf races are decent Both of those sprint races are fine against better The blinkers come on Icy flavor will be in the mix for me The blinkers on This dam was a four-time winner on the turf And was stakes placed Two siblings tried the turf One of them was a uh, multiple winner The other sibling was a New York bred stakes winner The eight, our shining light Adds the blinks, tries the turf The dam won on the turf And she's produced two winning turf siblings This gelding will get Lasix for the first time The blinkers come on He comes in from Dundalk Where he was 6th but he was in a field of 14 He was only beaten a length in 3 quarters And he ran well after completely missing the break The 2, you are pressed He missed the break last time out against Better at Golden Gate Now he tries the turf for the first time He has 3 siblings to race 2 of them tried the turf and they're both multiple winners on it What's wrong with the 10? Midnight Majesty, Hernandez jumping on First off the claim for Peter Miller You have an army of light Who debuted on the turf against Better Kind of made a mid-pack move up to 4th But the winner had cleared off that day And an army of light Would not be a shock at all What a difficult race 5, 6, 7, 8 As my top tier 2, 10, 11 As you go a little deeper Let's move along to race number 7 Maiden $20,000 claimers in here This will probably be where I single in the pick 6 With the number 4 Trojan Way She will be making her third start In her first start She faced a tougher group of Maiden 50 claimers On the turf at Del Mar And that race was very strong 4 horses from that race came back to win their next start In... Her second start, Trojan Way dropped in class She tried the dirt And she got bumped at the start Then she was crowded down on the inside Then she got, she kind of pushed her way through up to third She wanted to go There was an opening She tried to move to the lead She got shut off, backed up, she was waiting She had nowhere to go And then by the time you know She was able to really get some room The leader had opened up And she was a bit flat I think the race is a lot better than it may look on paper Trojan Way will be a single for me. There's very little speed in this race. I would not be shocked if he just gets aggressive, Maldonado, and sends this filly. I'll single Trojan Way, Charlotte Harbor, Kitten Calls, Sweet Heidelberg. They would be the others, but I just prefer Trojan Way in here. So let's single the four. We move along to race number eight. 
$25,000 claimers going a mile on the turf course in here. The three feathers <laughs> came flying late. It was an incredible ride from Hernandez. They got pushed back to last on the inside. She was loaded, and she was behind a wall of horses at the top of the lane. I have no idea how she found a way through, but incredible ride. The one Kitty Hawk last, she may be able to step forward now, third start off the long, long layoff. She was 10 off. She was down on the inside, and she was about no 7th or 8th. She wanted to go, but she was blocked. She was behind horses at the back, and she didn't get a chance to really start moving until it was too late. She moved all the way to the outside, and she came on again. The 8 should sit a perfect trip. Novella should she's probably the horse to beat in here, um, in my opinion. Galavi, if you were looking for a real crazy like speed demon... And then if you want a more of a bust-out long shot, the 12 Miss Hard Knocks, who should probably be forwardly placed with Edwin aboard, stretching out. I'll give her another shot on the turf. Her two turf races came at Canterbury. One of them was against Stakes Company, and the other came back in a very live race behind a horse named Midnight Current, who's won six in a row and two stakes. 1-3-8-12-5 if you want to go a little bit deeper and uh, use some others. Let's continue to race number nine, where I like five short journey. The first time starter, two year old daughter of Capital Account. Dam was a three time winner. Barn is 10 for the last 77 with first time starters over the last five years 13% and a $2.98 ROI. Bruins Mastery has some missing works, like gaps in the work tab, but she might still be talented enough to perform with this group. The two and the three of the horses who have run, La Paloma Blanca and Madeira, okay, I don't really get too excited about them. And then the seven on the outside, you've got Hylia Hottie who comes into the Doug O'Neill barn and drops in class, so I'll include her, I'll treat her like a wild card, first time O'Neill, and coming over here to SoCal. Really, really tough way to close things out in race number 10. Mile on the turf course, I like the five beach grass. Let's go back to her March 12th race. She wins at this level. Then following that, she has legitimate trouble on April the 3rd. She comes back on May the 1st. Again, has a bunch of trouble. She's off for a few months. She shows back up in September. And she had a bad stumble at the start. She was back to ninth. She was about eight lengths off. And she was inside behind horses. She ran up into a tiring rival but she kept inside with some good late energy, and she was not far out of third. Now she'll go second start off the bench. Beachgrass on all tickets for me. Lizzie D comes out of a trouble trip at Kentucky. She was inside sixth. She was crowded. She was traveling well. She moved off the rail late in traffic. Now she goes second off about a four-and-a-half-month break. The one in your face had a monster victory, putting it all together last time out, and that was only her third turf start. And her first two turf starts, she had legitimate trouble those days. And to the outside, if you're looking at both the 9 and the 10, I mean, school dance for D'Amato, Dolly May, from a class perspective, she's come out of a lot better races. Our Valentina is very quick. You could make some cases for using her as a pace player, along with the two Ropers and Wranglers. I'm on 5-3-1-10-9. And then two and our Valentina. And when I list all the horses, I don't mean I'm using all of them. But I, I I always talk about how I order them. Because for everybody 
we all play different wagers. Some of us are playing pick fours, pick fives, pick sixes. Others are playing exact as tries. I try to show the order I use in case, you know, you want to play a ticket when you use some horses underneath. That's the rainbow pick six for Santa Anita for Saturday. Big, big pool. Dive on in. Get involved on Saturday. Let's finish up with a couple deep dives. First, this week in wrestling, the deep dive. Chad Cooper will join us to talk about everything going on in the world of wrestling. We're going to talk about extreme rules. We're going to talk about WWE, Raw, NXT, AEW. But before we do, let's talk about full-service realtor Cindy Carava, one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast. She can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing. She can help connect you with the right type of vendors if you're looking for home improvement. You need help with... uh, you know, gardening, landscaping, painting. She has experience working with great folks that she'll put you in contact with. If you need help with the home loan, she'll connect you with the right type of lenders who will help expedite that process for you. C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. That's the website, cindycarava.com. That'll show all of her listings, all of the key information there. You can find reviews on Yelp and Zillow. And if you're curious how much your home is worth, she'll even do a free market analysis of your home's value. C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A dot com. Here it is, folks. Fight of the night. I'm trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's this week's wrestling recap. All right, calm down. And here he is, your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper. It's time for another edition of This Week in Wrestling with our good friend, our wrestling correspondent. He's also a college football guru. The Coop, Chad Cooper, joins us here to talk about everything going on in the world of WWE. NXT and AEW Koopa Loop, my man. We are coming off of extreme rules, but it's it's crazy how quick the wrestling world operates. It feels like extreme <laughs> rules was like a year ago already. No, no I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because you know after watching and then going back and doing some quick recaps, I'm like, is ex- was extreme rules two weeks ago? Because it feels like we've only been one raw after, and it feels like. We're like a month, month. I mean, it's like it's been in the rearview mirror and, and it's not. And that just shows you, man, WWE is on some serious fire right now. They just are. You got to call it what you what you see. And, you know, NXT two, NXT much pops. better week for NXT, much better week for NXT. Look, just the show is better and they got a great rating, great rating going up against the uh, two baseball uh AL and NLCS uh, baseball playoffs, so it, it's just uh, it's funny how things things work out in professional wrestling. You know, um, a couple of things uh, happens on Extreme Rules, and it seems like we already forget about it once Raw, you know, comes rolling around because we got all these new debuts. But man, oh man, WWE's on fire right now. Let's uh, let's recap the pay per view, the live event from last week. I mean, it was a really good show, and I just I like the template for these shows. These are how these feel like the way that Triple H wants to book his pay per views because this is what he did when he was in charge of NXT, and now we've seen in just a few of his pay per views they're shorter match cards, 
Each match gets a lot more time There are six matches on this card Every match got 10 minutes We had one match get almost 30 minutes And most of them are in that 15 to 20 minute wheelhouse Which is what you want For a blow off match Of a big feud They seem like they're just sort of going back To the old school way of booking To like let's build up these big feuds To a pay per view match We'll have a big blow off match there They can still do Some big matches on Monday Night Raw And on Smackdown I like the overall formula I thought the crowd was very hot Throughout the show And I mean There wasn't really a downer On the show in my opinion I think if you want to rank the matches You can probably say that one or two Weren't as good as the others But I thought there were four matches on this show Of the six that were fantastic That were excellent And then the other two weren't I didn't think they were bad They're just sort of Sometimes the the extreme rules Matches kind of limit you a little bit They they sort of do the opposite of what people think It's like oh you're going to have this Awesome extreme rules match But then sometimes you're using weapons You're trying to do a little bit too much um, Let's just roll through the uh, the card real quick The the match of the night might have been the opener yeah. The good old fashioned Donnybrook The six man tag with the brawling brutes Versus Imperium Remember a few years ago when they had they could throw like the Wyatt family and uh, the Shield out there. Oh yeah, yeah. Like all the time, and people would just sort of pop and get into it. Now I'm not saying these two groups are as popular or as over, but you could throw this this six man on any TV show for the next couple months, and it would be hot. It would be different. They could mix it up. These guys are great. You could continue to mix up feuds with these these groupings of guys for a while, and I mean. Again, it's it's really good work what WWE has done in, in just a few months. I look at the Brawling Brutes. A couple months ago, we were sort of laughing at Butch, what, what they <laughs> did with Pete Dunn. You know, <laughs> it didn't seem like they, they were going anywhere. And then same thing with the Judgment Day. And now you look at these two groups, and they feel like they're such a big part of the show. They've done a great job making you feel like the Brawling Brutes or something. They had Sheamus lose in the fluky... Way on Smackdown where he didn't win the IC title but you can tell that's like Maybe that's something they save for Wrestlemania for him now I don't know because It it seems like they're they're going to give Him that moment at some point But they're telling a great story This this might have been the match of the night or the The crowd was as into it as any Match on the card yeah I'm glad you brought Up the Smackdown match because you had Me convinced last week that that Sheamus was going to win this title and I, I, I thought so too just because He's so over right now that match on SmackDown Friday night, it was fantastic. I, I mean, all signs indicated that Sheamus is probably going to win this title, so the booking will be a little bit, bit different the following night on Extreme Rules, and um, the crowd was into it. And then, uh, as you said, Guthar gets gets the fluky win, and then you you bring back, uh, you come back 24 hours later, and you kick the pay-per-view off with this match. And I thought it was the right way to be booked. Um, I, I thought the team uh, that was short the night before, so to speak, should should gone over. It, it it keeps the momentum going a little bit more for Sheamus because hey, look, man, that Friday night match was was spectacular, and, and this and, and it set the tone. And, and this pay per view, I'm starting to get accustomed to these Saturday WWE pay per views. I, yeah, I don't like I, the morning, I don't like the morning gimmick stuff, but the no. evening. And you don't have to have nine or ten matches 
and three or four or two or three matches on a pre-show for this to be really good. And I thought it was perfect. This match uh, set the tone. Um, and you got to commend both of these teams. Imperium, hey, we didn't know what was going to happen when Gunthar and the other guy came up and they left no. the other guy in NXT. And it, they completely changed his character. Then a couple of weeks later, the guy comes up. They feel like stars now. And, man, the Brutes, I mean, what can you say? I'm glad you brought up the, the, the comparison to the Wyatts because – yeah, they may not be as popular as as they were, and now that we see that you know we're we're getting Bray Wyatt back, but man, they're pretty over right now. And again, mm -hmm. this it just goes to show you that these middle card type feuds, and I, I'm saying that with uh, not with I'm not saying that the the U.S. title is middle card, but it, it, it certainly hasn't been held up to the Intercontinental and 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 of course the the Universal title, but. For a title to be involved like this and to main event on SmackDown, then this match kick off the pay-per-view, outstanding. I loved it. I think they're doing a really good job with these guys. The second match on the card, if you wanted to say that one of the matches on the card may have been a little bit underwhelming, I don't even know if that's the right word because I don't – I think in a vacuum, Ronda versus Liv – was fine and I could they were working Really hard they were Trying I mean they were But it, when they were using some of the weapons it came Off a little weird with the bats and Then I just feel like Liv from The moment she had that match with Ronda Things have not been great for her as The champ from yeah. the moment they did That weird booking where They had her tap but she kind of Won and then she came out the next Week and was sort of acting like a heel And then following that she was always mentioning how she beat Ronda clean, even though she didn't really beat her clean. I There was something just off with this. Now, I, I thought they were doing a decent job trying to get Liv ready for this match with the extreme stuff leading in. And then after the match, they didn't show this on the pay-per-view, but they show Liv like, sitting in the boiler room, kind of laughing <laughs> and like... So this like dark evil mankind thing They have her pass out in, in And not even tap out But she passes out like smiling So It seems yeah. like they're going to make some kind of a big tweak With her character Kind of go crazy or heal or I don't know, maybe she's carrying around the Alexa Bliss doll now. Who knows? <laughs> and you know what? She probably needs to. Yeah, you know, we nailed this one. When we when we talked about the opening odds and Ronda was the favorite here, um, I, I don't think we even needed to know the opening odds uh, to know which, which way they were going. I think it was too late to, to try to change, uh, you know, and, and show uh, a, a different side of, of Liv. But it, you know, not to 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 keep beating a dead horse, so to speak. You know, this live title run has just not been very good, and maybe it was nah. because it was the SmackDown Championship instead of the Raw Championship. I don't know. It just wasn't very good, and uh, I like the tweaking of the character. I do. I, I, I wouldn't mind a, a, a heel live. Um, she may have to change that that blonde hair to to dark, but uh, so be it. I, I just think it's for her to remain. Um, instead of just somebody opening a show, a house show, or just being that, you know, that, you know, oh, we can rely on Liv for this match or this match. For her to stay, stay relevant, she's going to need a big change here because I don't see her winning this title back. Now, she may have a run, uh, you know, a chase again. Um, but 
you know, I don't know for what, because you know good and well that any any day now, any show now, Charlotte Flair will be back. And that's immediately, I think, we're going Charlotte. Um, Rhonda, um, since Becky's still on Raw and, and she's out. But, um, yeah, this is, unfortunately, sometimes the underdog is uh, the more popular way to go. And then once you hit the top, it's hard. I think we said that since the first podcast, you yeah. know, since the, that that winning the title is the easy part. Keeping it uh, and keeping that momentum is is the absolute toughest. And uh, I think we we saw it here again with Liv. Doesn't matter what company you're in, either WWE, AEW, the same thing happened. We saw it with uh, Adam Page when he won the title. We saw it with Big E and with Daniel Bryan in WWE when they won their titles. And then they didn't really have anything to do for them afterwards. The next match was, it was a good result. The match was solid. These guys beat beat each other up. It was Karrion Cross versus Drew in a strap match. They kept Drew strong because they had Scarlett interfere in the match. And they had you know, Scarlett come right in front of Drew When he was about to look like he was about to end the match And, and get the better of Karrion and Then Karrion was able to get a win It was a strap match It wasn't your typical four corner strap match though It was just a, a match with a strap Then the one thing I thought was a little weird In the match right before this Ronda and Liv were like using a Kind of like a strap To tie up and like to do a few things And I thought it was it was just a little bit like sloppy in that. Oh, if you know there's a strap match coming next, why would you kind of use that as your spot in the extreme <laughs> rules match like, right before that? That's just one of those things that I don't like throwing them under the bus, but that's something that AEW does a lot where yeah. they'll have yeah. same finishes on the card or they'll do like the same type of thing in three matches in a row. And I'm, I just like, if you're going to do that, that's fine. Like, yeah, mix the mix the order up a little bit more then. So it's just like not right after each other. I mean, Cross needs to get this win here. You can't have him come in and lose right away in his first big match. So at least he's established. And the match was I not bad in any way, shape, or form. It just wasn't, you know, a five-star match or you know, the best match on the card, but it was fine. Like it, what needed to happen here happened. Cross gets the win. Drew is still strong moving forward. Scarlet looked fantastic. I thought his presentation was good, like much, much better with Karrion Cross this time around than, you know, man, last man. time around. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just going to be straight up honest. I mean, how much more believable uh, is this win for Karrion Cross without Scarlet at ringside? Um, it, it's just not. It, it just wouldn't, it, it would be hard pressed to believe that. Um, that's why that's it's it befuddles me still that they brought him up the first run and she was nowhere to be found. But you know, that was the end. This is now, yeah. You know, another one that we called. Um, Drew did not have to win this. It doesn't hurt him. Um, no, it wasn't the best. That's why I think it helped to ha- have this, you know, type of gimmick match with him. I don't know how much, you know, how f- further the rest of these matches are going to be, and have a gimmick. Uh, with carrying cross involved, but it sure does help when you have somebody like Scarlett. She was, she looked fantastic. The presentation is there for those two. Um, don't know if he's ever going to be the universal champion or anything like that, but uh, a much needed win for him to keep going. I'm anxious to see where they go with him now. You know, what, what's next for carrying cross. I, I don't know how much longer you have a, a series with him and drew. Uh, maybe drew get, gets a win. Uh, on Raw coming up here If they go at it again But 
where do, where do you see Karrion Cross go from here? You know, do you see him maybe with Seth Rollins? We'll get to that, you know, with the, we have a title change. Um, so I misspoke and said the United States is supposed to be intercontinental a while ago. Um, do, do you see Karrion Cross now with Seth Rollins? Okay, so let's see who, <clears throat> that's the next who is on the SmackDown side that we could maybe put, I mean, do they give him like, um, <clears throat> that's a, because what's hard is when you just have Drew right off the bat, that's like the top baby face over there. Right, because right? so you, so anyone else is kind of taking a step down. But I mean, are we looking at guys like Madcap Moss, Ricochet? You know, for him to get one of them next in some sort of a feud, I don't really know because you sort of look at the way the like. That's right. The, he is a guy. That's right. I, you I know just, the yeah okay Good the lay point. the land over there. I'm trying to think who are some of the other you know baby faces that would be someone who you. Could you do something with the New Day guys maybe? You know, maybe like like him yeah. kind of feud with the two of yeah. them And they can kind of one at a time go after him And he can squash them here and there And maybe you could do something like that um, But yeah, that's interesting Where We'll find out Where does he go next? Karrion Cross. Bianca Bailey was a very good match For the uh, the women's championship It was a ladder match And it felt a little different It felt a little unique Bailey's so smart in the ring And she's so good and we were kind of right on this too. It it didn't feel like it was the exact moment for Bailey quite yet, or it maybe was the right person to beat Bianca in this spot. And Bianca continues, and now she they've done a much better job with her also since. Oh, yeah. Remember a few months ago where we felt like, uh, you know, she's kind of cold right now. But then she got back into the match with Bailey, and then following that, you know, I think just or she got back into the match with Becky following. That, you know, stuff leading into SummerSlam And then at SummerSlam, ever since Damage Control has come back It's really helped Bianca And she's she just felt a lot stronger as a character Yep, um, we nailed it I'd say we were right You just, you kind of felt it And I don't know what direction they're going with, with Bailey now Because she loses, she loses on Raw um, It was, it, the match in itself probably could have been the main event too Um these two ladies just tear the house down every time they're involved. And it's good to see Bailey, you know, get back in the ring and have a long, meaningful match. I know she's done a lot of stuff with, uh, with the other two, uh, hasn't been in a lot of long matches since her return. But again, you know, we're at a crossroads here. Do you see her? What do you see next for her? She loses a match, uh, on raw. Um, you got to think Becky's probably going to get involved here unless they hold her out into the Royal rumble. Um, just interesting times, but the match was fantastic, fantastic, and Bianca is as good as ever. And, and yeah, we were we were very concerned with her. Several pay per views ago, we didn't know how much longer she was going to have the title. And I'm gonna be honest with you, man. If Vince McMahon's still around, I don't know if she would have had the title. It just seemed like she was flat for a while. Um, she kept going over and winning matches, but it didn't seem like good, good match wins for her. But after Saturday, oh man, she's back on top Really good Finn Balor versus Edge Oh, this was so great Like Finn Balor feels like a guy again now You know, he just feels important The Judgment Day feels important We, Man, th- this was another one where we we really Like we talked this out When we were previewing it And felt like it, it was probably going to be something along these lines And this was good booking Because you keep Edge strong you didn't want either of these guys to say I quit So that was what I didn't love about the I quit match But 
they they told a story perfectly with it. They bring Beth Phoenix in. This is exactly like what had happened to Edge a few years ago with Cena when Seth Rollins did this to Edge. And now they did it to Edge with Beth Phoenix. They bring Beth Phoenix out. They act like they're going to do the concerto to Beth. They say, Edge, if you don't quit, we're going to do this. Edge says, I quit. And then Rhea still does the concerto afterwards. And now this group feels like a legitimate badass group. And I am pumped for this inevitable war games match that it feels like we're going to have because Finn Balor gets this win. Then on Monday Night Raw, we have the club, Gallows and Anderson, return to join AJ Styles. Could we get something where we have, you know, AJ, Gallows, Anderson, Edge, and Mysterio all, you know, on one side versus the Judgment Day, maybe one or two others over there? Like, I'm, it could be a lot of fun. And think about Beth in the mix. On the one side and Rhea in the mix on the other side Yeah boy We definitely talked ourselves Into some booking here (laughs) Right yeah This was uh, They might have been listening to us Because we had the finishes of a lot of these matches And you know what (laughs) Because this is what is great though Predictable isn't always bad When you're a wrestling fan If it's the right thing to do Then you do it You don't do something that's Shock value just for the, the point of having a surprise If it doesn't make sense in the story And everything they did on this show All made sense in the story All of it Yeah, and, and what's fun is watching it Saying, wait a minute, we talked about that Wait a minute, they're mm-hmm. doing this We didn't know how exactly they were going to do it But I, I love getting Beth involved into the match And now you have you have uh, several different things you can do Man, we, we can have a mixed tag You can have Beth and Edge team up uh, you, you've got Rhea on the other side There's several things you can do here That can lead up to this Survivor Series tag match And again, this is a match That could main event that pay-per-view uh, this, this is something that Finn needed to win I don't care how I don't care if it was, you know, wonky Don't care But man, again, winning the match And then coming around on Monday night And hearing the pop that Finn gets The heat yeah, it just makes him a star again, man. It's really good to see. And the the heat is the key. This this angle has been over. The crowd hates Dominic right now. They hate the Judgment Day. Dominic is is doing a really good job getting heel heat. And when Ray inevitably, like when Ray eventually goes and whoops his son's ass, <laughs> the crowd is gonna pop. You know what I mean? Like the moment when Ray is like, "Screw this! I'm gonna give my son a little love right now." Like, crowd's gonna go. Um, the main event on Extreme Rules was the Fight Pit match, and the ma- I mean these guys worked their asses off. What was weird? A couple things that I, I had critiques about the match. No- nothing about the in ring work. I mean it was it was awesome. It didn't seem like there was. I mean Cormier did a whole lot. I mean it wasn't like he was. There really wasn't like an angle or anything to it, right? Like. Right. He didn't see we were thinking that he maybe in some way can get involved and this would lead to something He was just sort of a guy there like he really just kind of played the referee He just didn't get involved all that much and and then the visual of the fight pit looks awesome It looks really cool. It's like a combo of like an elimination chamber hell in a cell sort of thing But it didn't seem like they all knew the rules or explained (laughs) them to us because They're trying to be, to get pins up on the top part 
And Cormier is like, no, you can't pin, You have to come down here It was, it just felt like I don't know if they spent a few minutes going Okay, hey, look, you guys can't have Pinfalls and submissions up on top You have to bring them down So Seth is trying to pin him up on top Cormier is like, no, you have to come down here It was, it was a little clunky In spots, I will say I felt a little bad for these guys Because at this point of the show Everyone just wants to see Bray Wyatt Too Right Right, And it wasn't like they crapped on this match But at the very beginning of the match The crowd was really wanting Wyatt Then the crowd got into the match But there was this sort of like Anxiety Because everybody was expecting Bray Wyatt And Matt Riddle gets the win And following the match We get Bray Wyatt And this (laughs) was This was fantastic And if you were If you were Bray Wyatt And and you had to feel so validated in in this one moment. I mean, this was all like rumor, really, and like nobody really said Bray Wyatt's going to be here. There were QR codes, and they teased things here and there. But this place was chanting for him. They were singing along with him. Everybody was going nuts. The internet went crazy, and so the the reaction was great, but. The reveal was fantastic. I mean, this was like a movie. They yeah. the production value of it. They had little nods to all of his former characters, little the things that he's played. Were they um, out in the crowd? They were, they were out in the crowd. The Husky Harris and the Fiend were out there. They showed <laughs> yeah, spotlights yeah. on him. <laughs> this was really well done. And all he had to do was come out of a door and say, We're here. That's it. You know, and you mentioned the QR codes. I think didn't Triple H start the show in the ring with an announcement, and on his mic flag facing the hard cam was another damn QR code. No, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't put my phone to the screen and see what this one was. But I went, okay, if he if he's not showing up on this show, we're, this is a rib that somebody has going, and uh, I don't appreciate it. The match. Uh, back to the match. <laughs> Yeah, you, you, you feel bad. I, I just don't know if they had time to build this style of match up because I felt I felt that those three involved and, and the other is Daniel Cormier. I felt like they were a little lost a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Reports were coming out during the day already. They were trying to spoil it that this is Daniel Bryan. This is a one off. So he's not, you know, he's not going to Cormier's one off. Yeah, so I was like, you know, I, okay, but um, the work was be- between the two w- was really, really good. Um, I don't have a problem with this main eventing, main eventing the pay per view. Um, the problem was, as you said, the crowd was antsy, and they knew they were running out of time for Bray Wyatt. And if Bray Wyatt would not have showed up that night, you would have probably had some problems. You would have had some problems in there and online as well. Uh, people people would have crapped on it. But, um, yeah, you talked about it last week. WWE is bringing in some new executive people in to uh, that have worked on the Marvel campaign. Mm-hmm. Long-term I booking, I think, is what, what some of them – there's like a either a new division or at least a new role that's the director of long-term booking. And, and I tell you this, this man, I can tell you this, just think if this guy had, he went to AEW, okay, and was whatever name, he couldn't be Bray Wyatt, 
but whatever name he was, and he went to AEW, and then trying to come back to WWE, and let's say he did, he would have not got this type of reception. Him being out of the spotlight and without jumping and taking some easy money and doing this, it worked out for the best for him because, as I said, if he goes to AEW, if he goes to Impact, he goes to somewhere else and then has to return, it, he does it's, not get a build or reception like and this. And it's not like this. I'm sorry. Like, you, anyone can say anything they want about going places. And, and look, Bray hasn't come out yet since this. So you and I are recording on Thursday. If he comes out on Friday, I mean, our, and it's who, – who knows what is going to happen moving forward. But all I will say is – you will never have a moment like Bray just had anywhere else but WWE. It just isn't possible. Like you just like for Cody, it was the same thing with Cody when he comes back at WrestleMania. You don't get that moment anywhere else. We've seen huge moments for AEW, for Impact on the Independence, New Japan stuff, but with the pomp and the circumstance, the way the WWE builds things up, the machine, the production value, everything that they do. Because some of the things that we people laugh at about WWE, they overproduce stuff and too many video packages or too much of this. But when it comes to your moment, you want the place that overproduces and that pumps you up and that builds things up because they make you feel like you're the biggest thing in the world. That moment on Saturday, Bray Wyatt was the biggest star right then and there at that moment. And it was cool. It was awesome. Now, just like we said, when someone wins the title, it's the same sort of thing now. What's next? Right? Yeah, I think I think the only thing that has been leaked, and I I don't know if WWE has announced it, but the indication is he's going to be SmackDown. He's going to be a SmackDown guy. That's what the dirt sheets are saying, so... Let's say he goes to SmackDown. What do you, what what are we booking with him first? You book him and Karrion Cross because he's going to be the only thing with him. He's going to be a babyface for a while. Yeah, he's got to be. You, you, like he's not going to be getting booed no matter what you have him do. So I don't think you want him to be some evil evil guy right away. You can sort of just lean into the babyface for a little bit. Let him be spooky, scary, creative. But I think. Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's the babyface right now. You don't want I don't want him anywhere near Roman Reigns for a while. And I don't think I want him in the ring right now. Me neither. I, for I don't you want know? him beating anyone right now. I, I want yeah. some. I want him on every week. I don't Vignettes, care yes, promos, and more him. more than just him talking in the ring, right? Sure, sure. They're creative. He's creative. Like we said, they brought in these new people to work with him. Like, let's see what you got now. Yeah, you know they had that old like abandoned, rundown Firefly Funhouse that they were showing, <laughs> dude. That was badass. That was yeah, cool. Was. And they had the buzzard, you know, and all. Then they're Love all the buzzard. Oh man, and oh, good stuff, good stuff. So we had a uh, Monday Night Raw. We had the DX twenty five year celebration. This was kind of like it really wasn't that that much. Let's talk, they had about, a, that. Let's talk about that because I was so disappointed on the me too. Raw. It just yeah. was nothing, really. It really, it really was nothing. They didn't. They've done a good job in the past with DX, with having them interact with a lot of different people throughout the night and have some fun segments. I thought there wasn't that much. I, d- I did laugh like right off the bat when they had the four cocks on <laughs> the. Uh, it was just so stupid, right? It's just like locker room humor, and they're like, "Hey, look, there's four cocks over there," and they got like the rubber chickens. 
And they're like, Triple H, he's choking the chicken. Oh, uh-huh. you know, it was it was so stupid, but it did make it me laugh. A couple of jokes, and I don't think the the in arena crowd caught on to it. But no, I, I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting. The tank came that came out, which was fantastic. It was just, I don't know. Okay, you know, to to end the show with that, and we knew Billy Gunn wasn't going to be there, but there really wasn't. I mean, I'm not saying they need to go in there and bury talent that's on the roster because I, you know, that. That didn't need to happen, but it was just kind of, okay. It, it seemed like there wasn't a lot of time for it either. You know, I don't know what else you could do but besides going out there and cutting some promos, though, you know? Now, I, mean, I, I agree with you. It was it's fine. It was fine. You got a few, like, funny laughs and like, a little bit of nostalgia, but it, just, it really just wasn't much. No, like, it, it, just, it just was not all that much at all for, uh, for DX. What'd you think of Kevin Patrick jumping aboard? So Kevin Patrick... Corey Graves are going to be the new announced team Backstage interviews Kathy Kelly And Byron Saxton And um, I also wonder If this was something that Sparked another company To make a change or to Add a, to their announced team Just seeing that the announced teams Were all shuffled over here how'd you think Kevin Patrick Did on his first night I, You know uh, I had no problems I, I like the guy I think Me too. He right in. I think a lot of people Um uh, you know, in years past, you know, when there's not as much internet in YouTube or sound bites, we, the, you know, the British accent, you know, is something you have to get used to. I don't think it's like that anymore. You know, going back to the old eighties, you know, you had Lord Alfred Hayes was about the only one that would give you a different type of accent, which I love that guy. I love all the work he did. So I don't think it's that hard to adjust to, to the British accent. We've been used to it. You know, Wade Barrett has done a fantastic job on Tuesday nights you know, Byron Saxton, I haven't been his biggest fan. I'm still not. That may take a you know a little while to get used to to see him doing some backstage stuff. Uh, you mentioned Renee, you know, we can, you know, uh, word is that WWE offered her a pretty nice contract to return. And of course, with her guy re-signing over there, another and five that makes it that makes so much sense, right? For her, for yeah. him getting to be together Absolutely. in a place where you work. Way less of a schedule Yeah like the absolutely schedule over there for the two of them Now WWE is no joke <laughs> When you make no, and go back It is no joke It's basically- And we'll talk let's talk a minute about this So we don't we guess we don't have to when we get over there And it, it sounds like for Renee for those of you who don't Know what we're talking about Renee Young Who used to be Renee Young Renee Paquette She is going to be part of the broadcast team On AEW which You know what I think that's a fantastic move For AEW she is so well Liked and it doesn't look like they're going to put her on the bra on the on the the commentary t- uh, table, which we've talked about. She didn't like doing, and she wasn't very good at. So they even had one of the Warner Brother executives mention that they're a fan of AEW and that they wanted to get some outside of the ring AEW programming. I think within a a month, we're going to have like weekly sit down interviews with Renee that you might be able to see on TBS or on the app or on TNT. Yeah, she this, softens that, it up too. That's you where she's the saying? best. You know, you know, she's so good in those long form interviews like that. She gets people out of their out of their like little box and to get comfortable and funny and to get loose, you know? Yeah, I, I would have loved to have seen her back in WWE, but it, yeah, you, you can't you can't hate her for making this decision. Um yeah, you know, it's uh like I said, Saxon's gonna take some time. Uh I do like Catherine Kelly uh a lot. I, I think WWE has done a pretty good job at all of their backstage 
correspondence. Again, I'm just not a Byron Saxon fan, never have been, probably never will be. But Kevin Patrick, I have no problem with him and Graves. I thought they did a good job on Monday night. Let's uh, continue along. So, damn, what what are they going to do with Sami Zayn here? (laughs) This guy is like... Oh, this is cow. one of those things where it's like, man, I don't real think they realize how. I mean, this guy is so over everywhere they go, and it's like on Saturday Night Live right now. He's popping these guys when they get in the ring, like Roman and and uh, Solo and the Usos. They can't keep straight face a lot of the time because Sammy's just like so goofy and he's throwing himself around and he's just flailing all about and yeah. So the uh, the bloodline comes out and. Roman tells uh, Brooklyn to acknowledge him. We get some Sami Zayn chants, but Roman wants to talk about uh, Jay. He asks Jay, "Are you a fool?" And Sami says that, "Hey, look, Jay's my responsibility. So since I'm the honorary Oose, can I handle this whole thing?" <laughs> and Paul Heyman's looking at him like, "Oh no, did this guy just interrupt Roman?" And Roman's like, "Yeah, come on, and Sammy, you take care of it. You handle this." Crowd's just chanting Sammy like nuts, and Sammy says, uh, "Jay, your behavior as of late hasn't been very oozy." <laughs> he says, "Who doesn't love Jimmy?" And Jimmy's fan, the, the fans are laughing, and Sammy and Jimmy have that secret handshake they do. Which is just hilarious <laughs> They do this crazy <laughs> Secret handshake And then Sammy mentions Solo He's built like a brick house And he's also kind of cool And he said everybody's cool except for you Jay And uh, man This was just so funny Like these segments are hilarious They're incredible Matt Riddle comes out He says you know he wants to face Roman Reigns But because he can't face Reigns, uh, you know they have a stipulation that he can't face him for the title. He'll take any of the uh, bloodline. So Jay Uso, you know, sort of prods Sammy to accept the challenge. They also have a little moment where Riddle says "Yeet," and Sammy says, "No, Yeet is a family thing. It's a bloodline thing. You can't say Yeet." And Riddle says "Yeet," and then they, <laughs> it was so stupid, but it was funny, <laughs> man. I will say I was laughing so hard in this segment. It was it was a really funny start to the show. Uh I, you I, we talked about Sammy. We, talked, <laughs> we got a pretty good discussion last Friday uh or last week <clears throat> about him and I don't know if they can hold off to WrestleMania, maybe they can. But I'm telling you, if this is done correctly, Sammy and Roman would tear the house down. I'm totally agree. You. He can do I, it. I, I he, he is. He can be in that main event, and the crowd will go nuts for him, and they'll want it. You can get Kevin Owens in there to help. You, I mean, you can. You can get. It can be like Kevin Owens and you know Madcap and Ricochet, who we've sure. seen already multiple times come and talk with Sammy about you know backstage. He's getting used. He's getting taken advantage of. Like right there, you have some guys that can be in the corner of Sami Zayn to counter the Bloodline. Man, I, I, man, Sammy is 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 like the one of the biggest stars in the company right now. Yeah, I, I just and on two nights, let's let's call it for what it is. The the guy is a star on on five hours of wrestling on on two nights. I know 
two networks. So if if things are done correctly, which man, I I could see. You know, as you said, I could see without them turning faces, I could see him and Solo winning the tag team champions. And Absolutely, still being part of that. So there's just so much to 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 do with what they've been doing because because they could have him have Jay get pinned, right? Like it would just that's the whole story right there. Jay gets pinned and like everybody's mad at Jay, really. He was the one that loses, right? And so I like and I thought the bloodline gimmick was getting a little stale um until Sami Zayn, you know, is now the (laughs) I'm not saying he's a bigger star than Roman Reigns, but let me tell you this. He's the star of these shows right now. Of these segments, these shows, he's the stars on, on both Raw and SmackDown. You can't deny that. Yeah, just incredible. Now, I will say, next on the on the show, the match was fine. It just was a little underwhelming, the Gargano theory match. You know, it went about 8, 10, match, 10 minutes. Nothing was bad about it at all. Gargano gets the win. Um, I don't. I just don't know it felt... Maybe I was just expecting a little bit more for this to be kind of like a, a pay-per-view match and get, you know, 15 minutes or so. But it, I think it only went about 10 minutes, and it was a, a pretty clean, like, kind of decisive win for Johnny. I, I was just – I actually more than I, – I don't think this hurt Johnny or anything like that, but more than anything coming out of it, I'm just wondering what's what's moving forward with Austin Theory. It's not weird that he lost, but he just sort of lost in a nondescript way. The matches that he had with – uh, Bobby Lashley were sort of longer, even and a little more competitive than this. And I don't know. Am, am I am I off here? Did this did you, this feel a little bit like maybe like there was something a little missing? Yeah, I I, I, I thought the match going into it, the match itself was going to be because we talked about it again. We talked about how how are you going to book this match on Raw because we knew we were having this. Yeah, I don't think it did really. I don't think it hurt Austin Theory because you know he's he's a heel and people love to see heels losing, and he's still got the briefcase. I, I don't know if this helped Johnny Gargano at all. Um, he didn't feel I, as the crowd just didn't feel quite as big as as like into him as much this week. No, um, it didn't. I, I, I thought maybe there's again. I, I'm still. I'm still going with this this briefcase, this money in the bank briefcase is going to have to be put up for grabs to make something meaningful here pretty soon. Um, because you're getting to the point where you're going to have a Royal Rumble in what, November, December, January, about three months away from the Royal Rumble. And that person is, is going to main event. I'm not saying that Theory couldn't cash in, you know, uh, the night of the Royal Rumble. Um, I, I don't know. I just think for, for something to be more involved, and I think that goes to show how much Kevin Owens is is over. I think KO helping Gargano over the last couple of weeks has has helped it a little more. You just you gotta be really, really careful here that he does not get lost in the shuffle. And this win really didn't do anything for me because yeah. I don't think either of these two guys did anything spectacular in this match. No, I think I, I agree. I, I wanted a little bit more from it. So hopefully they'll they'll put some focus on Gargano and see if they can uh, get get things a little bit better for him coming up this week. We had Mysterio versus Chad Gable. Ray Mysterio gets the win. I mean, Gable has a really great role out there. He's he's just like the loser to the stars, you know, like the lovable <laughs> loser to the stars because he's going to give you a great match and then he's super entertaining. Ray picks up the win here, and then Dominic gets in the ring um, with Ray and. 
Ray uh, Dominic kind of pushes Ray a couple times. He dares Ray to hits him. Dominic slaps him in the face. He keeps daring him. So then Ray punches Priest, and then Ray hits the head scissors on Balor, who knocks into Dominic. And Ray goes in. Uh, Ray goes for the six one nine on Balor, but Dominic goes back in the ring. Uh, to and he clotheslines Ray. Fans are booing. Um, Dominic just keeps daring his dad to hit him. He says, uh, and the fans just a lot of heat. They're chanting, "You suck!" And Dominic goes after his dad with forearms to the back, and then uh, Rhea holds his arms, and Dominic hits the six one nine on Ray. So it was a good, it was a good beatdown spot. Yeah, I tell you, um, uh, between the the bloodline and what's going on here, it, it's pretty spectacular. I mean, I, I it, it, it's just really, really good to see this many people involved to be a good segment because, you know, the mo has been the more people you get involved in storylines or in a segment or in a match, it it gets very confusing and easily lost. You know, it's kind of like a battle royal. After a certain amount of time, you're like, oh, okay. But you got to give credit to everyone involved here. And, you know, Rhea has been the star, I think, of this. With, without her, Dominic is is probably really nothing right now. Um, I, again, just another big match buildup that you got for Survivor Series. It's going to be fun. We already spoke about AJ Styles and uh, Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows coming back. So AJ has his guys, the OC, Carl Anderson. That was pretty surprising, right? Yeah, I agree. I think uh, Anderson actually has a title, a New Japan title. He's like the New Japan never open neverweight title. Like he has a smaller title of theirs. So, and then I think then New Japan retweeted something. That's what I was gonna say. So, so there's got to be at least some comfortability with him working here, and then at least being able to go back and work a match or two and drop that title. So that that's pretty cool, and maybe this leads to. A good relationship moving forward in a forbidden door here for uh, for WWE. We then got Bailey versus Candice LeRae, and Candice gets a a win here. It's kind of like a roll up, slip on a banana peel win, and it's more of I think a story they're trying to tell for Bailey now yeah. moving forward after the match. Dakota and EO attack Candice, um, but B- uh, Bianca um, runs out with the women's title, and you know. She's able to help make the save. So I like the fact that they're just sort of they're trying to get Candace elevated sort of in this mix with all the other women. Candace is good in the ring. She'll play a really good baby face. I'll let them tell the story here, what they're doing. And, you know, I, I didn't I don't mind moving forward to see, you know, they're probably trying to get a lot of women involved now for whether it, it will be a war games match. And then e- even not long after that into the Royal Rumble. You know, you want to make a lot of these people feel like they have a chance to have a big long run or just stake their claim at why they want to win. Yeah, it's interesting here. And I don't mind Bailey losing. Uh, you know, I talked about it a couple of minutes ago when we talked about her match with Bianca. I don't mind losing here. There's got to be something, though, uh, with this. Um, you know, I, you're I, right. She's got to have. There's going to be something at some point, right? Yeah, and I'm and I'm worried about the tag, the WWE Women's Tag Team Champions, uh, being behind her. I'm 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 fearful that she's her storyline is going to overshadow these two with the belts, who won the belts and kind of in a walky way because it seems like Raquel Gonzalez and every week, or Raquel Rodriguez every week, who she teams up with. 
goes over. And those haven't been very strong matches. And so I'm kind of worried about Dakota and EO a little bit with the belts because they are being overshadowed by Bailey. I think Bailey is taking precedence over them two right now. I'm okay with Bailey losing this match. I think it's a way to get Candice more involved. I do like that. Uh, but it's, it's going to be interesting going forward what they do with Bailey. What is she going to do? She's still going to chase Bianca here. Uh, does she have, have another match left in her with Bianca? I don't know much, what more you could do with these two after you saw them at Extreme Rules. So interesting uh, way we're going to do with Bailey because she can't just make an automatic return face after all this. So I don't know. It's curious. I hate to see what happens to the women's tag team champions because I think they're getting thrown to the wayside again here. And I was hoping that we would be something different with Triple H. But, man, I sure have a bad feeling about these three. I know. Uh, we had the Miz's birthday celebration uh, <laughs> with Loomis coming out there. Um, of course, you know, Loomis's head when they was in a place of one of the presents. I mean, the visuals that they're doing here are funny. They're really funny. And, you know, there's going to be some cake going on. And Maurice is going to, you know, she's gonna, she's going to look gorgeous, but then end up getting the cake, you know, all over her. It was your typical, you know, celebration type uh, type segment that just went wrong. These are fun. I just like I said, where are we going with this? Like, when are we going to get either a match or some sort of a build? We haven't had anything announced for these two guys at any point here, and I still don't know why. Like, Loomis is funny and talented, but why am I supposed to be rooting for him? I don't know. I still don't know. This is, I you know, we talked about. You know, several weeks ago that this has been very entertaining. What's the payoff going to be? I don't know. They keep having skits every week. Next week, it's going to be an anniversary. I, 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 I'm just saying that's not really going to be. I don't know how much more you can do with them other than Loomis versus Miz in some way. I, I may Maybe you get Indy Hartwell involved and she comes up. We have a mixed tag because she hasn't really been doing anything. She had a match on NXT. Yeah, maybe we get in. We have to get Indy in the mix, right? I mean, you're gonna have to to, to get Maurice involved because I don't know how. I, I just don't know what a match between Loomis and Miz the payoff is gonna be. I know to these skits unless the the two ladies are involved. So, kind of scratching my head on this one. We had an Omos squash, and then as we hear from Bobby Lashley, he makes his entrance for the U.S. Championship match. It's Brock Lesnar. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Wow. Did you think Brock Lesnar would come back? And no. This heck, soon? And no way. Bobby Lashley? No way. Did not see this one coming at all. No. Brock Lesnar, the beast. Cowboy Brock, he's back. And he gets in the ring. And he hits an F5. And then he hits a German suplex. And then he hit another F5. And he puts in the Kimura And You know that's right before His match so Lesnar leaves And and Lashley's wounded in the ring For the US title match Against Seth Rollins and we don't Really even get much of a match The bell rings So Seth first they're not Going to let the match go on but Seth grabs The microphone and disrespects Bobby says you're not (laughs) Says like you're not from America You're a disgrace to this country (laughs) Which was great, which was really great And so Lashley Wants to have the match And 
He's just totally banged up Rollin hits the stomp and the win After three minutes So your new US champ Seth freaking Rollins We didn't know how they were going to do this With the fight pit match the night before But I will say Seeing it play out It made sense now Really good good work here And I, I love I think one of us may have called Seth winning a uh, one of these mid card titles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, this is good. I uh, didn't think Brock would be in the one getting involved here. Seth's mic work is fantastic. You're not a fighting champion. Um, it was really Bobby good. Turns around. Uh, it was a quick match. Um, I, I'm interested to you know Brock and Bobby Lashley where we go with this. Um, you know, Lashley said he's he's coming back Monday night. This definitely can't be a Raw match. So, do you see this match being at Survivor Series? We can't wait to Mania. That's way too long. So, I, this is this is really interesting. Why Lashley, or excuse me, while Cowboy Brock chose Bobby Lashley, is this maybe a I, Crown Jewel match? Uh, you know what? Now, now that you bring that up, absolutely. Because when's that show? November the fifth. Yeah, because we don't that's, have a paper. Yeah, we don't have a pay per view for. That's December. why. That's, there yep. we go. That's got to be it, right? Yeah. This is. Bingo, and and you could get the title off of Lashley for that match because perfect. you don't need Brock to be fighting for the U.S. title. For those two guys, it could just be a brawl without the title, without any title. And yeah, that. that makes that makes perfect sense. There, we we're gonna get Elias back next week. <laughs> Who knows if we even mention Ezekiel again? I don't think we are. Maybe Corey I don't either. That, because he's a he's a he's a dick on the microphone. But yeah, yeah. And then uh, we mentioned our uh, earlier the Matt Riddle Sami Zayn match. Matt Riddle picks up the win here as uh, Jay held Jimmy back while Riddle kicked Zayn in the ribs. So, you know, it's leading to a storyline there um, with the bloodline, obviously. And then we finished up with the uh, with the DX celebration. So those are all things we all kind of referenced a lot. Earlier on but I thought it was a good a good Saturday and a, a pretty good Monday they got really Good ratings on Monday and I think maybe It was because you coming off the pay-per-view There's some buzz about Bray Wyatt and then the DX stuff but But they did a really good rating on, on Monday also Yeah you, you don't Know who's going to make the <clears throat> make a Return um, but With Brock and the OC returning I, Again I, it's just you know it, it, It's good stuff that Triple H Is doing so uh, kudos for for another good week, Friday night was good. Saturday, the pay per view was good. Raw was very good. Um, just good stuff right now with WWE, man. Over to NXT, where we have Booker T joining the party. <laughs> the uh, the former five time, five time, five time WCW champ is going to be on commentary with Vic Joseph and Wade Barrett's now moving up to SmackDown. Backstage interviewer Mackenzie Mitchell and Vic got married, so congrats to them. Uh, we opened up with Braun Breaker just picking up a victory. It was a good, you know, like showcase match for Braun. And we had JD McDonough on commentary throughout the match. Um, Ilya Dragunov joins McDonough and Breaker in the ring afterwards. And we just get a little stare down for the three of them that are going to have the NXT title match on Halloween Havoc. I thought, I thought it was a good build, you know. And, and what's nice about this is. Braun has faced both of these guys already And then these two Dragunov and McDonough They have a good story From NXT UK 
So the three of them all feel like they really are intertwined here, and I think it's a, it's been a good story that's being told so far. And Braun's felt a lot better over the last couple months interacting with these guys. His matches have been a little bit stronger, and he just hasn't felt quite as dull as he was before when he was doing stuff with Gacy or you know kind of in situations where you you knew he was never going to lose. I actually wouldn't be surprised if either one of these guys got him. Yeah, yeah, I, I could see the title change at hand. It, it just goes to show you that. You know, Braun's got more experience in, in front of the camera, in the ring. <clears throat> and I thought the match, even though it was short, I thought it was good. And I thought I think it's been a very good buildup for him. The Gacy stuff was embarrassing. You know, it was very interesting what he and Dolph Ziggler did. I, you know, that didn't have Triple H hands on it. That That's totally Vince McMahon stuff there. So I think, uh, you know, since, you know, day one with him and Tommaso, then him losing to Tommaso, and then him winning, I think this has been his his best work to date uh, going into Halloween Havoc, which is not this Saturday, but the next, right? It's on the 22nd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's on the 22nd. It's next Saturday, a week from uh, Saturday. So I think it's been his best work, and it, and it goes to show you, you know, you, you don't give up on a guy that seems like crappy and dull, you know? You, you kind of fight through some of that stuff and see if he can persevere. And he did, man. He's he, he, he looks a lot better. And I think the match is going to be really good. And I wouldn't be surprised if he dropped the title here. I really wouldn't. Alba fire promo. She has the match against Mandy Rose at Halloween havoc, but we'll talk more about Mandy in just a moment. This next match was fantastic. If you're like a star rating Person, this was a four-star match. Axiom versus Frazier. Yeah, Booker T doesn't really know any of these guys yet. You know, you could tell he's like getting familiar with a lot of them, which is fine. Mm-hmm. A lot of these guys are new guys, uh, new and new talent. He was just, whoa, what a match! Like you could tell he was he was getting pretty pumped. <laughs> these guys flew all over the place. They told a great story. This match went 14 minutes, and now we know that it's going to be Nathan Frazier. Carmelo Hayes, Oro Mensa, Wesley, and Von Wagner in the ladder match on October 22nd. Crowd went nuts for them. That ladder match is going to be awesome. Yeah, you know, this match, uh, what can you say <laughs> that you just didn't say? I mean, so it was just, good. It's, it's really good. It's one of the best NXT matches probably in a long, long time. Yeah. Uh, it, it even ranks up there among these these great pay-per-view matches. That the totally Black agree. Had. Has done, yeah. It's funny to listen to Booker T. He he was kind of just going with the flow here. He's like, man, I I haven't really been watching any of the, either of these two guys. So the latter match, you know, when done right and 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 the right talent is in there, um, you expect big things. And I think NXT has, uh, it, uh, other than maybe Chase U not being in there, um, this is going to be a pretty damn good ladder match, man. Now uh, we had I don't know what the hell they're doing With Apollo Crews uh, He's writing in a journal about Visualizing things And <laughs> all this stuff with Waller um, I'm, I, When he gets in the ring it's fine So uh, I mean but, but this is weird This stuff with Crews and the eye And the bleeding from the eye and stuff. I don't get that at all I don't I mean I don't even understand it um, So we got a nice win for Indy. She picked up a victory over Valentina for Oz. And so it feels like maybe because of Dexter or just 
you know, to build Indy up. She's got ability. She's good in the ring. She's, I think she's fine outside of the ring too. You know, she, she's, she's a good character. So I'm, you know, I'm happy to see her getting, uh, getting some, some time. The last couple segments they've done with pretty deadly, they're kind of hit or miss. They, yeah. they said, a, they said a couple funny things here and the way they were dressed up with the, with the beer dispensing helmet was kind of funny. Um, but they, they kind of have some of these segments that are cringy too. It's just like really hit or miss with their comedy. So they need to they need to kind of continue to fine tune that act. And uh, we ended up getting the triple threat tag team championship match, which was versus which was our our guys Brooks and uh, Brooks and Dunn, Briggs and Jensen versus Anofe and Blade versus the Dyad and Anofe and Blade end up getting the win because Cameron Grimes helped. To interfere in this match And he Cost the dyad the win in here So Inofe and Malik Blade They're going to be the new number one contenders I don't think they're Going to win the titles but this will probably be a You know a team for pretty deadly To get a victory over You know they, they had a pretty good showing in the tag tournament you know, remember we remember we thought they we thought, that okay. was, And we haven't we seen them since Cinderella, and We hadn't yeah. seen them since Because of those silly backstage you know, vignettes that were one of them may have been funny, but um, I and I think Grimes has a, a match next week where he's got two partners, mystery partners. Uh, OK, this will probably be them. Um, yeah. You know, can you see them winning the titles? Mm, maybe it would be a weird way. Just one one win. In this number one contenders match, you know, poor Brooks and Dunn, Mama Rio, Mama Rio, <laughs> poor Brooks and Dunn. But no, the mat, the match was pretty fun. Yeah, and, and Ofe and Blade are good in the ring. I just, I don't know if they've been built enough to beat Pretty Deadly yet, but I, um, I think they'll be, they'll provide a really nice in ring uh, match and, and good ring work. Easy win for Alba Fire over JC Jane. They just want to set up. You know Alba as a legitimate contender, but following the match, she gets attacked by Sonia Deville. Look at wearing the hoodie, and they're they're kind Mandy's of Mandy's old pal. That was her old friend, Mandy's friend. Sonia was was like in love with Mandy. They never really they never really played that story all the way out. But Sonia and Mandy are best friends in real life, and so we show that they're still close, and it sets up a match for next week. Um. You know, they, I thought this week they were doing a lot of things, but a lot of stuff felt like it progressed. Like yeah, the storyline, they they did do a lot of things this week, but it was so much better than last Tuesday when they when they did a lot of things and none of it really added up. None of it mattered. Right? Yeah, no, they, right. the, the stories weren't good because moving. Look, Sonya had this big role as an executive, right, and then comes back and kind of flops around, and she's lost a couple of matches here and there. Not meaningful, and what what do they do? Let's send you down to NXT and help out Mandy Rose. Boom, she's back to being relevant again. Love it. Now, Love it. apparently, we're gonna get Cora Jade going to Raw. We're gonna uh, get Roxanne great. going to SmackDown to each to each get a wrestler of their choice to face their opponent. Now, I don't mind that idea. I don't mind the idea of bringing some main roster talent to NXT. This segment, Cora Jade and like her acting and stuff is so bad, bad right now. It's so it's bad. It's really bad. It's like bad. nothing that she says sounds real or genuine or legitimate. She's like, 
oh my god, she's going to SmackDown? What? Who's she going to (laughs) get? Like, do you have Ronda's number? You know, it was just really... And that's developmental, but... That's a, a major weakness right now that they they need uh, to work it, on. Yeah, this is this is weird, but I'm going to be honest with you. I think they're they're maybe at the at the their boiling point of what can we do to 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 make this storyline that we were that we have on our hands that nobody really cares. About. I I don't know if a lot of people even online or care about Roxanne and Cora's storyline over the last couple of months. It's just I been think bad. So. You know, I don't think so. Uh, I, I think they, you know, we say it time and time again. I think they should have held the tag team titles a little bit longer. I would have had them lose instead of just, you know, throw the titles away or whatever. Maybe this is a last ditch effort to get us interested and involved. Um, I give them credit for doing that. So we'll see how the matches are. You know, I'm sure they'll do fine. But I mean, are they both going to lose? You know, uh, who, who's, you know. Somebody's going to get Tamina. Somebody getting Natty. I mean, what 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 do you think here? I, I don't see Car- Carmella coming back and and one of these girls going over. You know, so I don't know. I think it's a last ditch effort for us to try to get. I, I, I could maybe see a Bailey with what's okay. going on right now. Okay, maybe maybe like Cora or gets Luke. Bailey. Yeah, or you know, I, and, and Baby's losing right, or you know, yeah. like and then Roxanne goes and gets the baby face on the other side. Like maybe she gets like a. She gets, you know, Oscar would be a good one. Yeah, I could see something like that. A um, couple other quick hits on NXT. We got a video package. Zoe and Nikita. They have the NXT Women's Tag Team Championship match coming up. Then we saw Hank Walker and Quincy Elliott, and Walker smacks him on the butt. Um, so we're gonna have a match next week. Elliott against Zion Quinn. Quick match for Wes Lee. He picks up the win over Stax. And <clears throat> if I had a prediction right now. Just the way they've been setting it up, everything with Wit, with Wes and Trick and Carmelo over the last couple of months, I think Wesley is winning this this ladder match. Yeah, me too. Uh, I, I take my bet now. <laughs> let's let's do it. We'll, yeah. we'll 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 me and Coop are are sending it in as uh, <laughs> Ship it. We had Kiana James versus Tia Hale. Kiana picked up a victory, and then we had the uh, the main event match where we saw. Dragonoff versus Waller. Dragonoff gets the win. Dragonoff will be in the main event for the NXT title at Halloween Havoc, and Waller will continue on in his feud with Apollo Crews. Uh, I'm telling you, I thought I, I didn't, I didn't expect much out of this match, but it was pretty it was good, good, man. It was, it was, it was really very good. good. There was some excellent in-ring work on the show, and I thought it was a much better episode of NXT. They got. Really nice ratings too. One of their best ratings in a, I think a couple of years since yeah. like a, a pay per view since I did like a live event on the on a Tuesday. So good stuff for NXT. Let's finish up with AEW. We oh we are in Canada for the first time, and I thought the show was was solid, but I was maybe expecting a little bit more for them going to Canada for the first time. I yes. thought it would be maybe yeah. a little bit bigger of a show. We already spoke about Renee, and she she opens the show. Big uh, big uh, ovation for Renee Paquette. So great to see her. She interviews Christian Cage, who talks trash about the Toronto Maple <laughs> Toronto Maple Leafs, <laughs> and then um, he sets up the match: Luchasaurus versus Jungle Boy. But the key is the they're key, really yeah. they're really pushing the Jack Perry now. Yeah. They're it's Jungle Boy Jack Perry. So I think that we'll 
pretty soon get more of a Jack Perry and not Jungle Boy, which I will say, I think that's going to be good for him okay. moving forward as a character. I think if his name is Jack Perry, it sounds like kind of like a it's a good name. And his dad, obviously, with Luke Perry, it's like it's a star name. And I think the Jungle Boy thing sort of holds him down a little bit. You know, if it's like if you're a boy, are you gonna be does that sound like a world champion, Jungle Boy? You know, absolutely not. And so I think Jack Perry, that sounds like a guy who could be your world champion. Like that's a name that you see, Jack Perry. But here's my problem. Why is he losing these matches all the this time? Was, this was bad, dude. The match it, is fine. They went 14 minutes, but why does he lose? This is I, when's the last time this guy's had anything meaningful? Um, I, this is rough. I, I'm all for the name change. I agree. But I don't know. I thought it was weird. To, I don't have a problem with this match opening. You know, I, I'm with you after watching it and, and going over notes. I thought for sure we would have something pretty spectacular happen. Really wasn't anything mind blowing, but if you're going to start a guy and take Jungle Boy away, and he's Jungle Boy Jack Perry, then at least let it be a DQ. You know, I, I thought I, he got buried in this spot. I don't know. I don't think he looked good here at all, and it it just you have to give the baby faces wins at some point. And you've been stringing this guy along for a long time. He looks he's he's on the short end of the stick every time, every time. Like, why do we want to keep? Why do I want to cheer for him? I don't I don't like what they've been doing recently. Now the name change I think will help him. We uh, we got a lot of Ren, uh, Renee backstage interviews. This was with Ethan Page, Stokely and Jose. And um I mean it, it really wasn't much. They'd continue on with like the the Hardy Matt Hardy and private party st- stuff. It's just this has gone on for yeah, quite some time. Yeah, not, not at all. No interest in that. Okay, we have Wardlow Badass, awesome. Samoa Joe, awesome, badass. They both have titles. I don't know if they're going to be a tag team moving forward, but I don't know why. Like, it's cool seeing them if you pair them together for a match here and there, but I don't think these guys need to be paired together. And I just, I don't understand why you have someone like Wardlow who has one of your titles that you act like is a main title and he does nothing with it. Right? I mean, he's nothing. They are for, for, since he's won the title and then now this I, I just don't understand the booking process there's so much i think you're you don't have a lot of I, i'm just going to be honest you don't have a lot of time with samoa joe the guy, the guy is the walking wounded he stays hurt all the time you don't have a lot of time with people who pop here and there okay there, there's only a certain a certain couple the bump, of their bump card right they yeah. have a bump card they don't have very many bumps left give us some big matches with them and if you want to put them Opposite each other, go for I, it. I I would love that. I would love a but Samoa then, Joe then, versus Wardlow. I don't want to see them two against Nick Camaroto and QT no. Marshall. It doesn't do anything for me. They win this match in two thirty. Power bombs, cool, and you know then FTR and Dax make their entrance, and then Sean Spears makes an entrance. He gets a babyface pop because he's from Canada, right? And he's a babyface now. Which is what? really weird I don't understand that one Backstage maybe, maybe it'll be different this time with him Because I, I really liked him uh, The, the Perfect Ten was great Man, I, he had a great gimmick going there But he has just been With injuries and just 
he has not been important in AEW. Maybe this is a new new start for him. So we get to Swerve Strickland versus Billy Gunn, and Swerve gets the win. I mean, Billy Gunn's over right now. It was a little bit weird. I just when this is a thing that referee, former referee Jimmy Cordera says. He does he's on the Wrestling Inc. podcast sometimes. Love Jimmy. If if AEW just said that all of their matches were going to be no DQ, cool. I'm fine with it. ECW used to do the triple threat thing. And yeah. so you knew that they weren't there was no DQ in their matches. But AEW says we want to be treated like a real a real sport. Some of our matches in Ring of Honor have all these crazy rules, like the pure title, and then half of their matches they don't even enforce basic rules. Like referees are made to look really dumb. They're outside of the ring. Guys are outside using weapons, doing all sorts of illegal stuff, and they don't care. It just it it seems like it's a little bit inconsistent. I personally don't care, but if I'm watching it, thinking it's a sport, I'm wondering why it's not treated like a sport by the officials and by the referees. And it it just seems inconsistent. I, I wish I could say no. I, this is what loses me with AEW, and we'll we'll talk about the main event in just a second. That really really confuses me, but. Again, I, I just <clears throat> I think they put too much emphasis on getting as many people as they can in the ring, trying to trying to get certain guys and girls over that they haven't gotten in a while. And I, I know they they still rely heavily on us going to Mondays and Tuesdays to dark and dark elevation, but I don't I, I just don't think it helps at all. And again, when when you bring in these rule changes and what you're supposed to do, he's got a great point, man. You get confused, and it's just like, ah, you just kind of shrug, shrug your shoulders a little bit. I did like what uh, Mark Sterling said that they um, they copyrighted the – they trademarked scissoring. And <laughs> he said – so, you know, anytime they, that's said, we get the – we get a, you know, a, per, a part of the merch sales. Um, the, the timing of, of these segments, though, what are they doing with MJF? I mean, he's, he's sort of talking like he's going to be a baby face. He's – but then – I got a feeling this is going to be just another one of those pull the rug out things, you oh, know, yeah. in, in yeah. like because it, why would he be a babyface right now? And and they they're having him kind of acting like a babyface, and then right after that, it's the Moxley versus Adam Page promo where the crowd's chanting for MJF. Right, that was really really bizarre. I I, I poor Hangman Page. I mean, you talk about an odd man out here. How do you, I know. How do you think he feels being in the ring, cutting a promo about Moxley having the quote unquote biggest match of his, you know, career, and they don't care about you anymore, cowboy. They don't. It's MJF, pal. They took yeah. over. It's it's really really strange. You got to feel for Hangman. This is not a good spot for him to be in. Is uh, I mean, his promo was fine, and he was like no hitting him, He was like hitting himself and stuff, but it just like he showed a lot of passion and fire, but. It, it was weird. It was just a tough spot to be in when the crowd's not really connecting with it right there, and they kind of want MJF. We we get to the Ring of Honor World Championship. I mean, as you would expect with these guys, it's a great match, Jericho and Brian Danielson, but they've had three of them in the last month, and <laughs> I don't know, you know, this was obviously Daniel Garcia comes out, he takes the belt, and then he hits Daniel. he hits Danielson with the title belt. So... It was about the the spot at the end, and I don't, I just don't know 
what this did for either of these guys. They're telling the story with Garcia, but this story has now been playing out for a long time. Yeah, I think it's just a safe card here. Um, I don't know what it does. I, I do not do know what this title does for Chris Jericho or what Chris Jericho does for this title. I just, sorry, again, I say it every week. Chris Jericho's in my top five. I've always liked the old Lion Tamer, Walls of Jericho, the list of Jericho. Um, I, him with this title, even this match, I, okay, I have no problem with the match, but been there, done that. I just don't know what all these Ring of Honor titles mean on AEW television. I just do not know what they mean. And you bring in the, the you know, Ian is back, or Ian is back, you know, and it just, again, it just feels real odd. It's not. Maybe if you want to put the ring apron up, you know, says ROW, I just don't get it. Maybe if you did an ROW pay-per-view every couple of months or, or an ROW show that's on YouTube with, with your current ROW roster, and I, I just don't think people buy this ROW title business right now. I don't. The women had a tag team match, and now, see, they're in a weird spot because yeah, they are. They Soraya's not on the show at all, first at all. of all. Um, Didn't even mention her. No mention. Tony Storm and Sheeta beat Britt Baker and, and Hater. Hater is really over, and they don't want her to lose, so they have to have Britt keep losing now. Like now, like the biggest star in your division is losing all the time, and it's making Britt feel like less important each time she loses. I guess they're building up Sheeta for a title shot. Um, Ugh. I don't. I mean, the match was fine. And, I don't. And, and, and somebody brought up a good point. I wish I could say it. I'm going to start mentioning the tweets and I'll give these people proper credit because it was just a, a regular regular Joe on Twitter. Where is our where, where's our TBS women's champion? I know. Where's Jade? How come Jade never is on Dynamite <laughs> and only on Rampage? Dude, she uh, and, and, and I, I don't. And why well, have you kept not, her away from this title? She like, is, she is not the best in the ring. But you know what? Goldberg wasn't the best in the ring either. And I'm not comparing the two. But they're but very she, comparable. She's been over. She's overshadowed this women's division for a while now, and she's been MIA on Wednesday nights. Why? I don't. I don't get it. I think a couple of weeks ago she had a backstage segment. You know, um, I, I think they added to uh, what the Bad Bitches Club or whatever it is. Uh, they signed uh, uh, what's her name, but you know, the, the what, former singer, the rap girl, or whatever, right? What was the girl's yeah. name? Yeah, and it's yeah. Uh, where is she? And nothing, oh, and nothing. Man. And our main event is Orange Cassidy versus Pac. Orange Cassidy wins the All Atlantic Championship. Now, some conflicting things here. Okay, I like the fact that Orange Cassidy got a win. He doesn't really get a lot of wins. He usually is, has a lot of losses, and he's always a character that's over. These two have had a lot of matches, and they're usually pretty good. But I just, I don't really care about this title. You know, they they brought us in and told us that the TBS title was supposed to be as important as the the world title. Then we don't ever see it. We see this title pop up here and there. All these Ring of Honor championships are around. They're just the too many titles, like. Weathers them all down. None of yeah, them mean even the AEW World Championship. I don't much. think until that gets on MJF will it mean anything right now. Especially with the, the interim stuff back and forth, yes. and he won and it on the women's he side. Lost it, it and forms. Uh, isn't she the interim women's champion? 
I know. And and I will say, even even the last couple weeks, MJF feels a little bit less than when he came back. I don't know sure he does. what if what it is, you know, and I just I I didn't think this was a fantastic week for them on a week where I may have been expecting a little bit more out of their show. So he is is up their game, you know, I had no problem with the match. I don't know why it was the main event. I like, and maybe, you know what? And here's, here's, I will say, I don't mind. I've given them crap for putting the ring of honor stuff in the main event all the time. So, you know what, if you're going to put your own AEW champion chip in the main event, I'm okay with that. But, but versus the other one, but like, I don't, the ring of honor stuff is, what are they doing with Ring of Honor? And see, that's the problem. Like, no what are knows. they doing? There's no TV. We only have a Ring of Honor TV title. Joe, there's no TV. They don't have a TV show. <laughs> What's he the champion of? You know what I mean? He's a TV champion and they don't have TV. I don't understand. Um, Koopa Loop, let's finish up with a couple college football plays for you if you have any to dish out for us. Yeah, uh, I got a couple here. Uh, I got three uh, just because I'm a degenerate. and Because uh, you've been rolling. And I love uh, playing Mac. I love Mac action. I, I don't know why I like Eastern Michigan minus two and a half here at home. Um, but I, I'm going to go ahead and lay the points here. My two biggies this week. Uh, not, I'm, I'm going to bet Utah and USC, but I'm staying away from that as an uh, official. Uh, that's what G said this week in wrestling pos- podcast podcast play. Uh, Let's start with Iowa State and the University of Texas. Texas is quote-unquote back, and I'll give it to Sark. Everyone was ready to run this guy out of town last year. It was pitiful. It was pathetic. And lo and behold, the Texas Longhorns seem to be back. They should have beat Alabama. Probably, you know, probably Mm -hmm. should be, you know, somewhat undefeated at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, Coming off a massive just railroading their, their big red river rival last 49, nothing, you know, so they're on all highs. That's fine. Guess what? I don't like the Texas Longhorns this week. I I, I don't now, Let me tell I you. I love this spot with you, Chad. They've got, me... they've got Oklahoma state next week too. It's so they had the big game against Oklahoma last week. They've got the Okie state next week. They yes, play Ohio, Iowa state who just lost three games in a row by what a combined 11 points in those right. three losses. They were just gutted last week by one point. Okay. They, they were a one point dog. So that was a push. Um, they started the season three and zero. Now three and three. Their backs are against the wall. Now, hey, look, I'm not saying that Iowa State's going to go in there and beat Texas, but you're giving me fifteen and a half or sixteen points at some books. That is way, way, Bro, way too are, many look, points. Just, just this alone. The Horns one and eight against the spread as double digit chalk in conference games. Iowa State six and zero as dogs of three or more. This was the clincher for me. Matt Campbell, 10 and 1 against the spread as a double digit dog in conference games. Iowa, look, the, Iowa State, this is their Super Bowl here. Mm-hmm. They have to, they have to come out and show something. If they go, if they lose this game or get blown out, they're in trouble. They've got Oklahoma, Texas Tech, West Virginia. They're, they're gonna have to start winning some games to get bowl eligible. So I'm going to take these points and I'm even gonna take them at 15 and a half. I like Iowa State. Now, let's talk about um, khaki pants, okay? Michigan, they're rolling, right? Michigan Wolverines, blah, blah this, blah, blah that. You know what? 
I don't like Michigan this week. Yeah, you know, I'm not sold. Coop, you and me are in trouble. We're on the same ones here you in this what? one, too. I love you know it. I, I, I'm not sold on, on Penn State. You know, I, I thought their coach maybe should have been fired, you know, a couple of years ago. But you know what? Penn State, it, it, I even like the under here. These are two really, really good teams that have some big guys on the offensive and defensive line. I think that the the over-unders at 50, 50 and a half. I may play that under. But I'm Michigan all, this year, 5-0-1 oh, to the under in their games it, this year. Look, outside one of two, one or two players on offense, are you kidding me? Look, Penn State, man, um, they're getting a touchdown. Now, look. I may they have two weeks to prepare for this game, too. They're coming look, off a bye. Look, I may, I may get backdoored. I, I may, and that may happen. But you know what? Um, Harbaugh, 2-11 and 11 against the spread in games involving undefeated uh, opponents, including 0-9, his last nine against the spread uh, against undefeated conference opponents. Again, Penn State, this is their game. They've been winning. They feel like they get no respect. Michigan's had some, eh, eh, but you know what? I'm not scared of Michigan here. And if you're going to give me seven, I'm going to take seven. Penn State, give me the seven, Gino. Five and 12 against the spread. Harbaugh against top 10 teams um, when he's That's been at Michigan. That's all you need to know. One of Michigan's six wins this year have come against a team with a winning record. The combined record of its three non-conference opponents, five and 14. Koop Loop and me are on Penn State. <laughs> We're also on Iowa State. Let's do it, it together. My friend, Love this it. week, thank you so much for helping out. Give Chad a follow at the Chad Cooper on Twitter and on Instagram. You'll hear him each and every week right here talking about wrestling, everything going on in the world of wrestling, and dishing out some college football plays. Thank you so much, Koopaloo, buddy. You have a fantastic weekend. You got it, buddy. Folks, don't go anywhere. We still have a lot more to come on That's What G Said. So you want to set the mood. You're looking for something all natural. Soy wax, non-toxic, baby. Scents for every season. Now don't be afraid, baby. Just spell it out. Candles.com. And don't forget, promo code Gino gets you 10% off. Mm-hmm. It's the holiday season right now. Halloween's coming up. Pumpkin spice, any pumpkin scents, and then that'll lead you right into Thanksgiving. Then for Christmas, you'll want more of the, uh, you know, more of the Christmas seasonal scents. CERACandles.com. When you use the promo code GINO, it'll get you 10% off your purchase. And these are not just normal candles, they're healthier for you, they're better for you. No toxins, no carcinogens, no pollutants. You're going to have a healthier, cleaner burn that will actually that will have the candle actually last longer for you because of it. Check out sarahcandles.com. C E R A candles.com. Promo code Gino will get you 10% off. We finish up this episode with the deep dive scene by scene Andor. Spoiler alert, we're going to talk about everything happening in episode six of Andor with Michael Foster. Scene by scene, deep dive, episode six. Spoiler alert, everything going on in Andor. We're going to dive into it right now. Very excited to be joined by Michael Foster to talk uh, about Andor, episode six. We're going to deep dive this episode. And uh, Michael, this one is deserving of a deep dive. Wow. Uh, Just some overall thoughts on the eye. We got to see the heist and it was 
about 50 minutes of just action packed as we had kind of predicted. Yeah, they did what I liked, especially about this. Well, one, the episode was just amazing. And they did the smart thing of not like cutting around a bunch, right? We didn't Mm -hmm. see, we didn't see like, oh, what do the big, the big wig Imperials think about this or what's going on with them? And, and, you know, that one guy who's living with his mom. No. We're, we are just on uh, Aldani, yep. right? That's the planet's name, I believe. And we spent your hunt. That That's so funny because that was going to be my first overall arching thought was I'm so glad that this show is a 12-episode format and not one of the six episodes where everything kind of got crunched because we got yeah. to let everything breathe so much more. And I feel like it made it, – it heightened – all of these scenes and the sequence is so much more like knowing these characters, a little bit stories, knowing their, like their inspirations. And I'm, I'm so glad that you pointed that out too. It wasn't like quick back and forth, overwhelming. Everything got its moment to like set the scene. And then we move to the next scene. But for the most part, we are just on Aldani. Yeah, they did it. What I love is it wasn't like a two-parter. They didn't split it over multiple episodes. They did a great job building it up, and they knew exactly what we wanted was to see the heist start to finish. And that's exactly what we got. And boy, oh boy. (laughs) It was pretty crazy. It was great. If you listen to us and you went to, you know, your local Star Wars bookie or you called it in with Jabba, you called a bet in, you probably made a lot of money because spoiler alert, spoiler alert, I run one right before the show starts, but... Our guy Nemec. I mean, we knew we knew poor Nemec wasn't going to make it. But not only did Nemec not make it, half the crew is gone. Yeah, that blew my mind. I was like, "Oh, this uh, not what I expected." No, uh, a little bit of what I expected, and a little bit of not, which is uh, kind of what you want, I think. Mm-hmm. You in, I love that in a Game of Thronesy way. Like they're just not they're not afraid of just killing off people right away, right? Characters that we just met and that we've been built for a few episodes and then boom they're gone and and then cassie and again they continue to make sure we know that while this guy will eventually be fighting for the the better side he is no saint i mean he just blasts skeen my yeah my my jaw dropped when that happened and it's kind of like i hope that doesn't like it's kind of his thing but i hope it also doesn't become his thing because Mm -hmm. We've seen it before. I mean, he did something very similar in Rogue One, if I remember correctly. Yep. Yep. And, um, but uh, yeah, it, that I was gobsmacked uh, when that happened. Could not believe it. This episode just knocks your socks off, honestly, from the very beginning all the way through. We have so much to talk about. The best and easiest way to do it is probably just going in uh, in order. So let's dive on in. Yes, yeah. most episodes begin with the previously on. They let us know uh, and, and set the scene. And then we get the calm before the storm. So we open this episode up with this. It feels like it's like four or five o'clock in the morning. You know, it looks like it's all foggy and hazy. And they're just getting ready to get up for this day that they've been planning for for months. And Nemec is anxious. He's got all of this anxious energy. Mm-hmm. He hasn't been able to sleep. And and he's like, he's like a little bit tired, but he can't sleep. And he's just confused. Like it's just all these emotions. Cause this guy knows that he 
he all of them know that they're putting their life at stake. And I think that was something that was that made Cassian a little bit uneasy when he came in that some of them are completely content with, you know, dying for the greater cause here. Yeah, I know that was that was kind of a reservation of his. And I also but I also feel like and we get a little glimpse of this that while like, you know, it seems like mentally or maybe how do I explain this? It seems like they 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 on paper they're like yes I'm I'm absolutely going to do this and I'm willing to die for the rebellion. But then like when we see the heist actually happens, we we're like oh these are people and they've got nerves and they're scared and it's like of course they'd be scared if this goes wrong they're they're dead and the cause suffers a major blow. We almost we see three or Vel I think Gorn Nemec. Um, they all have a moment like you're talking about a moment of hesitation yeah. where, where they have to think for a second, am I going to go through with this? Because this might be it. And, and that's the same moment that any one of us would have before making that huge decision. Like you said, <laughs> these aren't robots. And what I really liked is that kind of what, what you're hitting on. Everyone has a face, even the bad guys. There are no, yes. no stormtroopers yes. with helmets. Even the soldiers that come in, they're people with faces. So when you kill them, it, it just feels a little bit different than when you shoot a stormtrooper. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's very clear that that's, that's an obvious uh, decision on like the, you know, the producers and the showrunners mm-hmm. uh, uh, in, in their role. Um, they're, it's very clear they're making that uh, decision. And um, for this show and the tone and everything, it makes sense. And And honestly, Gino, I was watching this and I was like, you know, I have issues with Rogue One. And I was like, I feel like this episode is kind of what I wanted from that third act of Rogue One. Yes. Like, I can un- yeah. you know, it's obstacles and solving and overcoming obstacles. Obstacles and then solving it in a creative way. Um, like the tension was there. Like I don't like I've I've got I got it. I had like a restless leg the entire time. I don't know. And <laughs> I was doing the same thing. And you know, like the music that you don't really notice, mm. but it's just the score that's being played in the background, it makes you feel like like something's always about to happen. Like something ominous is coming. Yes. And you can just like feel it. It's not like overwhelming like death march, you know, but it's just like this ominous little, uh-oh, is this the moment? Okay, not quite yet. Uh-oh, is, is it coming now? And you, we keep waiting. Like we were predicting bad things were going to happen along the way, but it was, it's so well done. And, and, and Nemec is believable here why am i so unsettled uh, and he looks at cassie and he says you sleep like a stone and and you you don't believe in real anything he says i write when I, I can't sleep and I'm, i start to write and he, i wrote about you last night not specifically you clem and he says I, yeah yeah that's probably like, not even your name right <laughs> so that's probably he's not talking, even by your the way, name he's, he's talking like a mile a minute he's I, he literally is so how fun. many cups of this calf has he had <laughs> right. He he's like, he's cracked out at this point. You know what I mean? He just feels like that. And he's drinking this calf all night, which gets him probably a little bit extra kick. And he's just, he's, he's titled his manifesto. Now the role of mercenaries in the galactic struggle for freedom. My conclusion is simple. Weapons are tools. Those that use them. And you're right. He's those who use them by extension assets that we must use to our best advantage. He's just flying through yeah. his words. And the I, Empire. I, I, I feel like part of his also this conversation is he you could tell he likes uh, Andor yep. a lot. And I think part of it is he's maybe kind of like justifying like he still, he still wants. Yeah, he still wants to like have this this great, you know, uh, idea uh, of, of Andor of Cassian. 
And so he, he, I think he's kind of justifying, you know, his role there a little bit. Absolutely. He's making himself feel better about it, that it, it all makes sense. And okay, this, this makes sense. We can, we can do it too, because they do it, but they're worse than us. And if we're all against them, then it makes sense. You know, he's got, he's got all these ideas written down. He says the empire has no moral boundaries. Why should we not take hold of every chance we get? Cassians is your, you know, you're half right. The empire doesn't play by the rules. They don't care enough to learn. You, know, you mean nothing to them. And, and, and now reading through some of these lines after knowing what happens to Nemec, it's sort of sad, you know, because mm-hmm. he says, perhaps they'll think differently tomorrow, which we actually find out they do. You know, this, this news yeah. of this heist gets all around and it becomes news. And, uh, and, you know, Cassian says to him, you know, be careful what you wish for. And, uh, they have this little back and forth where, you know, Cassian says, Hey, look, do I look like I'm someone that's thankful? No, I'm not. And Nemec, you know, appreciates him being here. And Cassian says, don't worry, you'll be fine. You'll sleep when it's done. Oh, which kind of has that double meaning yeah. now because our, our poor friend Nemec is sleeping now. But this was a really important and I thought a, a good way to start it, all, all through this episode. I'm I've never been on a heist, you know, but I like you like you were kind of hinting at. I was feeling what they were feeling while they were experiencing this going. Yeah, this would have been out. I would have been thinking the same thing. These are regular people. Like these aren't career criminals, you know, Skeen maybe, but you know, these are people who have a cause. They've been training for something. Um, they all have like a special area of expertise or two, but they're not, they're not bad people. I mean, they don't even go in to this heist wanting to hurt anyone. Their whole plan is sort of like a Robin hood kind of plan. Hey, if everything goes to plan, nobody gets hurt. We just take this money and get out. Yeah. Even that commandant is like, you'll just kill us anyway. And, and Vel is like, no, because that's what you would do. Mm-hmm. We're not like you. We, we strive, you know, to, to like a higher standard, um, which is the whole reason that they're undertaking this is mm-hmm. the they empire ca- they care about bad. people, right? They care about exactly. people. They're not in it to just blast anyone. And we keep hearing about how the empire is the total opposite. They don't care who you are, what you are, anything about you individually. And the guy who mentioned the commandant J hold man, does he represent that? This, oh, he's he's so this, great. He's only in this episode, but man, he he makes an impact. He is. He's such a fat cat. I mean, it's exactly what he is. And <laughs> he he comes in right away, and he's just bad mouthing the Donnies. He's the commandant, sort of the leader of the the base here on Eldani, and he's speaking to an engineer, Colonel Pettiger. And you can sense that this is this guy, the colonel, is kind of a bigwig too. He's in charge of a lot of these projects, so. The commandant, J-Hold, he's really trying to impress this guy. So he's kind of talking big to him, and he's really talking trash about the Eldonis. Their problem is pride. They would rather lose. They'd rather suffer than accept defeat. It's wildly ironic as they've choked down everything we've thrown at them in the last 12 years. He talks about how they try to like get these people away from their culture. They come in with this real colonization, like this very awful way of coming in and just stripping a place of, of everything that that is uniquely it. And man, this guy, he plays this character really, really well. And we get the sense all throughout the episode that the P, the Imperial officers who are on Eldani, they don't want to be here. This is like a punishment for them. 
So yeah. for a lot of these guys, they just want to do their job and try to hope that it'll help them move up the ladder and then just get the hell out of here. Yeah, I mean, gosh, the writing is so good because this commandant, it, it would be so easy to just throw him in there and make him a two-dimensional villain, you know? And that would be fine and honestly fit pretty well in Star Wars. But they he has his backstory. He has his family. Yeah. Just the little, like the little snide comments, uh, you know, the way he, he talks to his wife and son. And the fact that this engineer... Like, it, it, you know, it's not just this heist, like there are stakes for them because this engineer is here. It, just like you were saying, uh, the engineer is they're looking at him as like this uh, ladder to uh, a promotion, probably, and getting off this planet. They just badmouth all of the Eldani mm -hmm. people. They just they you talk so about how they. For them. I know they talk and, about how they smell and they're they just... smell. And and what they said that, like, this would be the last year that they would let them come see and see the eye. And see the eye, and you know what's happening to the Aldani people is happening to how many different you know peoples and civilizations all across the galaxy, yeah. and that's the whole you know the whole badness of the Empire. It's and you know Cassian probably seeing this a little bit too. This is like him, him family, you know, his family was sort of like mm -hmm. a, a a pretty like a tribe. He was in with a tribe of kids when we caught up with them, like Lord of the Flies. But his yeah. family was not in some um, advanced society or civilization, they were very simple people. And now he sees this going on himself. Um, there's so many layers to this. Like you said, the writing is just fantastic. Yeah. And, and uh, so, yeah, so we see Lieutenant Gorn. He's the guy who he's really the, the key to all of this. He's the mole of the, in the operation that is going to help the rebels get in for this heist. And, we even get to see some of like, you know, the, the behind the scenes of the Imperial officers. And we see Jay hold and Lieutenant Gorn talk about how, okay, Hey, we got a Colonel Pettiger. I want things to look good for him. Gorn says, yeah. Hey, you're not going to charm him. He's an engineer. He's not like a schmoozer, you know, for yeah, him, exactly. he's probably all about just numbers and, you know, and, mm -hmm. and science, you know, and uh, it's just little, little layers of things. But Jay hold lets us know. Everything needs to go smooth here because I, he's hoping to get off Aldani. We hear him talk about it to his family. So this is this is like a, a big night for him to show this engineer, hey, look, things go well here. Things go smooth. I'm someone that's important. Put in a good word for me here. I can help out. Yeah. Oh, so good. And um, and I think around this time, we, we start to see like the plan actually kind of taking shape. We see... Yep. Um, uh our the comms four, they start uh, testing out yes. the comms and stuff like That's, that yeah and, and they're and they're uh and then we finally we see them in their imperial disguises mm -hmm. like um, the f final prep um yeah for everything here and you get like you said you're you're kind of feeling it like you're shaking your leg a little bit you're getting kind of goosebumps when you're watching this because the episode is is like a like a like a time bomb ticking you know yes yeah as, as it's going through uh it's like a stopwatch that you know you're getting closer and closer and, and we actually see vel and cinta they're at their separate post and we've got uh tamarin a tiramin nemic they're testing out the comms cassian and skeen are there they're preparing and like you said they're getting in their imperial um wardrobe now they're dressed up like soldiers here and this is like Final prep, radios tested, and they say, uh, okay, we're dialed in, locked in, moving on. Valley one out. 
So we're ready to go, Foster. We're ready to rock and roll now. Yeah, it gets it gets tense at this point because then you're you're like, oh, those they're in their disguises, and it's like, oh, there's Imperials. Imperials now have eyes on them. All right, and the, are they going to play it cool? What's going to happen here? Somebody going to find them out? Like everywhere yeah. they walk by, you're wondering like, are they going to take a wrong step? Are they going to turn the wrong way? Are they going to react? They're going to forget something about the way that they've been trained and they're they're learning right now. Uh, the things that they've been learning to to play this part so well, to play their role so well. It's there's just constantly one mo- one thing from screwing this whole thing up. They're they're constantly yes. one move away from this entire thing being ruined, and it's such a cool experience while we're watching and it's happening. Uh, we find out that one of them, uh, Tyrion, was a stormtrooper. Actually. Yeah. Which and, it makes sense with how how he acts because he he does uh, hold himself, uh, you know. We see kind of see him as a soldier, which is crazy to think about because they they mentioned or Skeen mentions that Cinta when he she found out she went crazy because the stormtroopers slaughtered her whole family. So now you got this dynamic where these people who are thrown together are like hating each other. And we even get more and more backstory about them as we go through just like little, little tidbits here and there. Yeah. Um, and, now, and here's the ahead. thing. We don't know the backstory of everybody and no. that's fine. There's so much in modern media of like, of like mining every little detail. We don't need to know everything. No. It's fine. We'll find it, out little it's, bits it's here and there. Good. Yeah. It, it's better this way. Absolutely. Is Lieutenant Gorn talks to one of his soldiers and we see the Eldani people arrive. They they are locals. They look like uh, kind of pilgrims. And I think um, one of the things I was one of the recaps I was reading said a lot of their clothing was similar to like the Incas. Uh, that was from uh, Screen oh, Crush, which is kind of cool. And they're they're referred to as the Donnies by the Empire. But these people have lived in this place. This is their home. They've now been rounded up. They're put into you know towns and homes, places they don't want to live. Their culture is not respected, but they do give they do give the Aldani's like a night with the Eye of Aldani, where they let them sort of have some of their cultures and their rituals. And we we see throughout the episode the Aldani's you know, lighting fires and how important this is to them this is stuff that I really like. Like this is even the thing in kind of reminded me a little bit of book of Boba Fett when we just sort of meet some of the tribes and we get this like world building, just some mm-hmm. like little attention to detail for this peep for these people. And it's kind of like what you were saying. They could have just breezed over this group of people. We don't really need to know a whole lot about like their customs and we don't really need to see the ceremonies that they're having, but in just giving us a few more minutes of it, it feels like a lot more fleshed out and mm, I'm glad that yes. they did. It's just like, it it feels more real. This place feels more lived in. This group of people feels like a group of people. And um, I, like I, uh, I thought they did a really good job with, with um, you know, the Aldani people and just checking in with them, them. You can look on their faces. They don't even speak anything that we can understand. It's the language that they're speaking, their subtitles, you can see how important this event is to each one of them as they watch it in the sky. It's, it's really cool that you can, wow, they really revere what they're seeing right now. It means so much more than just a pretty light show. 
Yeah, and they even, I mean, you talked about we, you know, how how lived in it feels because of like the ceremony, um, and you could see like the emotion on their faces. And I liked that they they did a great job of showing uh, not only the Aldani people taking in the eye, but also the Imperials. Right? We see their faces; they're not hidden by uh, helmets, so we can see that this uh, also, you know, impacts them as well. And they're all uh, mesmerized. It looks beautiful. It looks it's, incredible. This is one of the and. Star Wars and the creators of Star Wars have like all been into visuals. I mean, that was one of the hugest thing. The prequel trilogies are all about visual stuff, showing yep. CGI stuff, showing the new tools. I'm no hyperbole. If anyone was going to make a list of the best visual things in Star Wars, I don't know how this couldn't be on the top, like wouldn't be on the top three to five. It it looked so incredible, like like a fireworks show lit up, like an eclipse. And I thought they did a really good job because it's a tricky thing. You don't want it to be like so so overwhelming that it looks doesn't look real. But I mean, I visually a couple times was just stopped and like wow when they're flying through it and you just see everyone staring up at it uh, a couple different times. It looks like uh, something that's really hard to even describe. Yeah, it's uh, it's a beautiful, and we you know uh, know and find out that it's also you know pretty dangerous. Yeah, if you're you're flying up there, um, in the eye. So we check in with Vel and Cinta. They're in their hideout, and they're gonna actually have to go underwater and come up the Imperial base. So they will kind of find a weakness there, and they will be able to meet our group uh that's now the group of the soldiers they're going to be referenced as squad three that's what lieutenant gorn calls them so squad yes. three is our squad that has skeen nemec Terramin, and and cassian and so those four are part of a couple of the different squads that are out there to keep the aldani people in line and to help run the you know the operations on the base as this eye of Eldani is, is happening and Lieutenant Gorn, obviously, since he's in charge, he's able to manipulate things a little bit. So he has squad three be the squad that's actually in charge of accompanying our commandant Jay hold and his family. So they, they've got it all set up very nicely here. And, you know, so far the, uh, the first parts of the plan, we have the soldiers, they join in, and uh, in, in like the uh, controlling of the Aldani's so far, so good. We actually see our fat cat commandant Jay with his family here, man, this guy's just this total snossage, huh? He yeah. is just, he <laughs> tells yeah. him he needs them on their best behavior. I think his son is named Leonard and his wife is named Robota. Um, but yeah, this dude is, uh, he's, he's very, very concerned with, this night and everything going well he had he's already told this to lieutenant gorn he's told his soldiers and now he's telling his family hey everything has to go right and he's gonna make his kid wear a blouse come on come on <laughs> I, I love all the wardrobe stuff and he's i mean you know i can relate i'm a bigger dude so when he's trying to you know do his belt his sash and he's like oh it uh, you know it, it was compressed in transit his, his, and his wife says perhaps you've expanded yeah um, perhaps you've expanded. Um, yeah, there's a great there's a great scene here as they uh, Squad Three makes their way 
um, into the facility. Uh, prior to that, they, you know, did this, uh, I think, exchange of like animal hides and uh, the yes, Aldani, the Aldani yes. chief, like the their um, maybe their shaman or, or one of their leaders, the religious leaders, you know, uh, once I think Gorn to, you know, say something insulting um, and Gorn, you know, kind of spins it. Yes. Uh, he's like, uh, it was great. Yeah. Good he, he says, he says, it's a good uh, trope. I like it. It's really funny. You're right. Um, they, they even be and right as they're about to walk out, like Commandant is, man, these furs, oh, they stink. These stinking fur. Like he's always just, he's so just like, just such a awful person. And he plays it really, really well. Like you just hate every ounce of this guy's being, but, but at the same time, like you said, you kind of understand how they play it. Like this is a punishment here and he wants to get off the place for his family. So he's not just some horribly evil guy. Like he sort of has some motivations for, for what he's doing. And as the Aldani's arrive for this, this little ceremonial, uh, the passing of the furs, the Aldani leader says, um, he, he tells the commandant, <laughs> which was, was pretty funny. Um, let's see, what was the exact thing? He says, our ghosts have strong uh, hands and long mem or strong minds and long memories. Ooh, you, and you know what? Yeah, it, it made me think of like Game of Thrones, the like uh, the North remembers. Yeah, kind of thing. That's exactly I was like, oh, it. That's that's that that's chilling. Like like the Empire, you're you know you're bad dudes. You're gonna get your comeuppance. You know you better watch out. Now uh, underwater, Arma's gonna get you. That was that's a great pull right there. That was just like the North remembers. Um, underwater Velen Sintra, uh, they try and breach the base, and now the eye has started. So some of these soldiers are distracted. As soon as you can sort start to see some of the meteors and the light shooting, Velen Sintra use that as their cover, and so they're they're in. So so far so good. Things are moving pretty well, but they haven't been able to check in. It seems like they're maybe a step behind. Is Kaskeen is asking, have we heard from Vel yet? Have we heard from the crew? And we have not had everyone check in yet. But this pace is frenetic. Like it's moving quickly. Yeah. Like you feel like you just feel the angst as we continue here. And uh, we have Lieutenant Gorn and Jay Hold and the family with Colonel Pettigrew. They're escorted by Squad Three, and they have that small ritual ceremony with the Imperial officers and the Eldani tribe. This feels like something that was done every year on the eye of Eldani. We, sh we give you a fur, you give us a fur. We have this little ceremony. We, we have uh, some words and <laughs> Lieutenant Gorn translate those, uh, those strong words to just say, may the eye find the good in all of us. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like in years past, uh, you know, Gorn maybe had, it was probably done more earnestly. I'd have yes. to imagine it. And, and Gorn, because Gorn, we, we know, uh, you know, had, uh, um, a, was in love with a, I think a, a local woman, a mm -hmm. local, a local member of the Aldani. So I, you have to imagine that he, you know, uh, that in years past, it was actually more earnest. And then maybe there was actually probably more goodwill than this particular ceremony when they're, the numbers have dwindled so much because of the forced relocation. I thought he, the actor who plays Lieutenant Gorn is fantastic. He, the way he just so wears good. everything on his face, so because good. a lot, a lot of what he's doing is just his facial reactions and expressions. And like, he's watching everything go and he'll, he's standing behind, you know, commandant 
and Colonel Pettigrew where they're talking and like he gets to make sort of faces when they're just like denigrating the Albanis. And he, as he's watching squad three and he's watching Cassian and Skeen and Tierman, he's almost watching them going like, Oh shit, this isn't going to work. You know what I mean? Like he's almost Mm -hmm. like noticing that they're like, some of their step-ups are a little (laughs) bit off or that people are recognizing. I think, like I watch him and you can just by watching his face, he was doing so, so much. I just, I really wanted to point out how fantastic he was. In, yeah. It's, it's this. during, yeah. During this like first half, I, 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 I was like, I was like, I think Nimic is the one who really stands out. Like he yes. looks like, he looks like a little boy playing Not stormtrooper like and be there. I know he looks something. like a child. He does. Is <laughs> uh, so we, They've they've done a really good job, and Gorn has cleared it out. So in the base, there's just a couple of of, of soldiers, and the rebels, uh, squad three, walk in with Jayhold, his do- uh, his son, his wife, and Colonel Pettigrew, and the doors close. And now all of a sudden, boom! Like the plan is has gone great so far. Their plan is to be able to get access to the payroll credits. They're they've gotten rid of a lot of the soldiers here it doesn't look like they're gonna be a bunch of casualties everything's going smooth until colonel pettiger pulls a blaster and now the whole situation escalates quite a bit yeah and you know again we're talking about how like humanized these characters are the engineer he's like he's 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 doing he's you know they're threatened He's worried about the kid. He says, let the boy go. He's worried about the commandant's son. It's like, oh my gosh. And for as bad as, we don't really know a whole lot get, about the colonel. Like, he's come off a little bit, like, arrogant, but he's just doing his job. You know, like, he's literally just here inspecting all this stuff. He gets pulled in. Like you said, now he's trying to help protect a kid and a woman. He, yeah. He's, and uh, he, he's got a gun pointed at Nemec and, uh, And then you know. Cinta actually comes in. Um, around the corner, and she kills Pettiger. Yeah, um, she jumps down, just a quick headshot. N- um, and this is after I think uh, she and uh, Vel had uh, sabotaged the the comms. Yep the the Imperial they block they jammed their signal. So so now so far this was the first little hiccup, and now we have a casualty. But yep, all of the the parts of the plan have gone gone to plan so far except for this like they're still on schedule with the heist with everything they were looking to do as lieutenant gorn continues to help the plan along he tells some of his soldiers to go and watch the watch the eye as now while this heist is going like every time we come back outside we get some visuals of like the meteor showers going and lights going and there's fireworks all over the place and we see the Aldani's starting to really celebrate the ceremony here. And at this point, Vel has now arrived. So our crew is together. We have all of them here. And now everyone can really start to take their places as they force Commandant Jehol to take them down to the vault. And this is where he, uh, that, that line that you mentioned earlier, he says, no, you'll just be, you'll just kill us. And she said, no, that's not, that's not how we do it we're we don't we're not like you um so they they show that they don't want to kill anyone and Cinta's already had to kill someone but 
overall, this group is not a bunch of cold-blooded murderers. You know, they they're going to have to do some some things they're not proud of um, in order to you know fight what they believe is this this righteous cause. Yeah, in this whole sequence going forward, you just can you just like feel like the sweaty adrenaline, and and you could tell like, and they're not panicking. You know, they are like some of them are green. You know, and maybe have never had to kill anyone before or, or you know, shoot a blaster, but they're handling it. And and that's what's really cool is, you know, that they, they drilled this for months and uh, you can kind of see that come out as like things go wrong and they have to quickly adapt. So what ends up happening is one of these radios gets as they start to communicate with each other, one of the radio signals gets intercepted by an imperial base that's in contact with the Aldani base. And so they're the imperial base is like, it's hearing some things on the radios, but they're not exactly sure what's happening. It sounds like there's something going on. They try to contact the people at Aldani and they're not able to initially, you know, they think it might be in in cause of the, the eye of Aldani. Maybe this big event that's going on is, Mm, kind yeah. of interfered with some of the communications so that buys them a little bit more time it buys the rebels a, a few more time a few more minutes of time for nemic to get familiar with all of the the technology he sets himself up for everything that he that he needs to do on the technical end and i mean we head on down to the vault uh Sinta stays with the hostages that's something that's interesting because we don't ever check back in with Cinta again in, until the very, very end. We see her turn the lights yeah. off. We don't know what happens with her. We don't know if she makes it out alive or dead. We don't know what she does to the hostages. I mean, what happens to his son and wife? Do they, does she kill them? Cause she was the one that seemed, you know, she killed Pettinger and yeah. she was the one who we just found out that her entire family was brutally murdered by stormtroopers she might have the least um moral compass or the the least worry about just killing people yeah yeah I, I, and gino i actually had not thought about that until you brought it up and that's a great point that uh you know based on her backstory and what we know of her and her actions of you know being able to take out that uh with the colonel the engineer mm-hmm. so quickly um but yeah she's got that cold steel and um yeah probably the least resistance to you know cold-blooded uh, murder so uh who knows that's a great question maybe we'll find out in uh, episode seven we follow along on the way down to the vault and it's really cool like we see the guards playing uh, poker sabak which is yeah. the game that uh han solo won the millennium falcon in i believe um you know just a cool little little tidbit and there these soldiers were right in front of the vault with all of the big payroll credits so what the rebels are able to do here, they take the weapons from the soldiers and they force all of them to load the credits onto the ship. That <laughs> I almost started laughing when that happened. It was like, it was like, oh, okay. They got the drop on them. They're just going to like bind their hands. No, they make these guys freaking work. They make uh, them put their they... own payroll credits on the other <laughs> ship. It's like, not only are we taking your money, but we're going to make you it's do so the manual good. labor to put it on there. The co- <laughs> they make the commandant work and he's huffing he's sweating. I know he's, he's never so worked much. like this and you, he's sweating and the guy has a heart attack right afterwards. Oh my I mean, gosh. It's so, 
it's so great and it's like it's like man it's it's so great because we get also get to learn you know the little bits of the plan that we hadn't heard before so this is obviously part of the plan and it's uh pretty amazing and of course you would want to you know um use these guys because you you have only so much time because you know that um that there's going to be you know tie fighters coming yeah right that they had already anticipated that they got to get it on the ship get it out get it in that that you know that window of time uh in the eye um where they'll they'll have that uh cover from the uh, celestial event now the visual of the rolls of the gold credits coming unlocked so cool oh it's awesome once they crack the code and then boop it's open and now they're able to start loading these these uh huge rolls of credits onto their getaway ship and Nemec's dealing with all the technical stuff. He's working on the ship. He's working on the plot. He's working on this stuff. And, um, you know, he's this savant genius, but as he is talking with Vel and radioing with Vel, this is the really what gets picked up by the, uh, Imperial base that they hear that they're in the, we've taken the vault and breached the vault door. And that line is heard. So then the Empire starts to call in all their backups. They call in the TIE Fighters. And Michael, I thought this was so cool getting to see the TIE Fighters called in. And how they have to like go into their ship and just, again, a little bit more humanizing of these people who are just like, oh, generic bad guy. But we see them like at the hangar. And they have to go get into the TIE Fighters. And then we see, like, the cockpit a little bit of the the TIE Fighter ships. And it's just, again, little details, little attention to details that makes all of this stuff so much better. Yeah, I couldn't remember the last time we'd seen, like, inside a TIE Fighter. And... I, I can't remember. I mean, like, in, in this way, never really. Like, with this yeah. kind of, a, of, like, a clear picture of what it looked like in there. It was, uh, it was so good. It was, like... I was this, I was feeling nostalgic, you know, because it makes me it, it, it harkens back to, you know, uh, episode four. Yeah. And and I was also like I was like, man, I was like, I forgot I had like this really cool ass TIE fighter toy when I was in elementary school. It, it, it was it was so like different. And and I just um, I, I love the little quirks that they're doing in this series, the story to make the storytelling better. And it it's it makes it a little less star Wars, but just a little more real, right? Like everything feels grounded yes. in this galaxy far, far away. Um, it, it's really, yeah, because it, I used to say that like, or maybe I picked it up from like a podcast or something, you know, star Wars, like star Wars was, was always like, was always about like delight. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You're, you're like, you're like delighted by these, uh, these dog fights and um, the characters and like the cute droids and stuff. And there's a little bit of that in this, but it's very different. Again, I think this is what Rogue One was going for. I don't mm-hmm. think the writing quite got there. Mm-hmm. And it, this is a, but I have to thank Rogue One for giving us Andor. And I'm really loving this show and the direction they're taking it. So now some of these extra soldiers are sent down to the vault mm-hmm. as the the credits all continue to get loaded in. It's we so tense. Our- our Aldani's like, outside still celebrating this ceremony and enjoying this incredible night. Just so frenetic with the feel that something is about to happen. These awesome visuals and the 
Aldani folks just mesmerized by the sky, like fireworks lighting up, and Lieutenant Gorn comes in. And now Jay holds really furious because he realizes that Lieutenant Gorn was the mole and was the one behind all of this. I love their interactions. His, yeah, his his uh the comment on his stupid face when he realizes <laughs> Gorn's in on it. It's like it's like everything you wanted. His sweaty, like confused face. You you'll hang for this. And Gorn says, Seven uh, years serving you. I deserve worse than that. <laughs> and then he says, Hey. Pick this up and go. Like he, he Gordon gets him right to work too. It's Pick so these up. Great. Start loading this crap. Get over yeah, there. You're not the Gord. Yeah, Gord does. I mean, he acts like he does not care. Like he's so over the empire. Um, and and then I think this is when we get these. Uh, I think like the comms officer, uh, brings in his squad of uh M- imperial goons. Yes, as oh. uh, Lieutenant Gorn's trying to get all the rebels on the ship. The soldiers arrive before they've completed this mission. Gorn tries to play it off. Again, he doesn't it's want so anyone good. to get hurt. Right? It, yeah, exactly. He's it's like you and you're like rooting for him so hard. You're like, you're like, listen to Gorn. He's Just your commanding listen. officer. And this and this comms guy, the, the comms officer, he keeps inching further and further, and they're all armed. Oh. He's, and then oh, a, oh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, Gorn says it's a classified mission. You're not cleared to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great, right? It's like, hey, get out. And the guy is, he sees the commandant and and J-Hold is like starting to have his heart attack. Yeah, Gordon's like, Gordon's like, commandant, tell them, you know, tell them that it's uh, classified. And yeah, he just collapses and it's like, oh no. So uh, now we get crossfire because these Imperial soldiers realize that something's up and... The now now the Tie Fighters are dis, are deployed, and the Rebels end up killing a few of these soldiers in the back and forth. Now yeah. we have our first actual casualty with Terramin, and I will say I did not notice this until the second watch uh, until I watched this back after. But you know we're gonna find out in a few minutes that Skeen is a piece of crap, and yeah, that everything he, that he fa- he did not cover no. Terramin. I didn't really notice it as much until the second time through, but he was the reason why Terramin's dead. Yeah, if he had, if he'd covered him, there's a good chance he could have made it to the to the freighter. And it's and I and it's so like depressing and unceremonious too. I know he just gets shot in the back and he's up. Oh, he's dead. And there's a moment where they say, "Hey, where's our uh, Nemec?" Says, "Where's Terramin?" And Vel kind of looks at him and they just look down and you know Terramin's on the ground and he's just. They're dead, and that's that's what's really sad about watching an operation like this. Where, okay, well, he's gone. They obviously would would like to stand and mourn for him, but what do they want to? Are they going to ruin their entire operation that they've worked all this time for and ruin everything? I mean, they can't. They have to keep going. So if someone, you know, you lose one soldier, you you have to just continue on with the mission. It's it's sad, but it's like brutally true in that it it's what they have to do you know it's it's yeah it's so like inhumane in every way but one or two or three small deaths for the greater cause i guess in the long run like they're they're part of the the sacrifice and uh and you know goran is of course assisting them in this um firefight and then he gets shot um at some point too and he's out gorn's out terraman's out uh, and by the way, it's and again, I just want to say, like, they're doing like 
they're keeping their cool. I mean, you know, of course they're getting shot at, but they're giving as as good as they're getting. Yes. And even Nemec is doing some good work, like impressing me with, you know, um, taking out uh, Imperials. Now they're able to get onto the ship. The doors close and the ship is off with Cassian, Vel, Nemec, and Skeen that have made it so far. Now we don't know. We haven't seen Cinta, but we do see her at one point like turn all the lights off and then that's it we don't see her again afterwards we don't ever see her get killed but we don't know what happens with her at any other point which yeah we just see her i think at the like towards the very end of the episode just like standing in her uh imperial like an imperial uh like officer's kind of uniform or Mm -hmm. a trooper uniform um and I think she's made it outside of the like facility from what I re- remember. But yeah, that's, that's about all we get out of uh Synth's story. So Cassian, Vel, Nemec, Skeen, they're in the ship and they take off. Everything's very quick, frenetic pace. It's not like they get to get in there, get set up nicely. Everybody gets their seatbelts on and goes. And when they were loading everything, it wasn't like a, an organized loading process either. It was just, no. Hey, they're just throwing everything on this ship let's get as much on there as we can and let's get out of here and because of that when they take off the huge rolls of credits these weights of money literally fall onto nemic and like crush him yeah it's it's it's, uh, it's really heartbreaking it's it's sad and we think that might be it for nemic he does have a really great hero's moment where they yeah uh, Nemec has he is actually such a genius that he has created these this like technology and these flight paths that the Empire does not even have so he's studied Aldani and he studied the area and he's put in so much more time and work than the Empire would and this is kind of what we've all said the Empire doesn't really care they're fat cats they're just sort of the big ruler Nemec has taken the time to create a technology that they don't even have. The problem is Nemec is the only one that knows this. So if, if he's out, they can't even fly. Like Cassian is flying a plane with no, he has no, nothing. He has no technology to help him. He has no radar. He's just completely blind. And yeah. He, it's, it's, it's like they're like underneath like a frozen pond and Nemec's like the only one who knows where like that hole to get out under yes. from under the water is. And yes, uh, and then because of that, like they have to like you know keep him uh, conscious, uh, and he's it's so sad because he's like he can't feel my legs. It's like oh this poor guy. He's been crushed. Looks like they crush about his like his stomach and bottom half just right into his torso and bottom half. And as he's struggling, Vel gives him a med spike. Okay. Oh my god. Here gosh. we go. It was, it was very, it, you know, reminded me a lot of Pulp Fiction. Absolutely. A little bit. A little bit. Right. Uh, it's great. And, and, uh, and he so starts, tense. we, Nemec was a fast talker earlier, right? Without the med spike. Now, Nemec, he's takes him a few seconds. Cassian's trying to fly, fly. He doesn't know where he's going. And now it's like he's just, Nemec is just jacked up on adrenaline. And he starts shouting out instructions to Cassian, climb, yeah. climb. He's like, what the hell did you give him? <laughs> I love Cassian asked him that. And uh, he he keeps shouting it out, climb, 
Dive! Vector 65551! Full boost thrust on level! Come on! I mean, he's just shouting out instructions, but it's cool. It's like, like you said, it's like a video game. You're watching, and as as he, as he shouts out an instruction, Cassian does it, and these Imperials and their TIE fighters that are following, like, they don't have the radar. They don't know where they're going. And they're flying through this Eye of Aldani. They can't see anything. And because of Nemec's genius, Cassian is able to just follow his instructions and get to safety without, you know, these TIE fighters able to, you know, to stay on their heels because they just cannot follow along. Yeah, it's pretty uh, satisfying to, uh, it's always satisfying to see TIE fighters blow up. Yes. And, <laughs> and the they visuals, do so very easily, always. And watching them fly, like, through the eye while we're we're seeing, like, the colors and the greens and the purples and the just, uh, it's really, really cool looking and uh, awesome intensity and angst all throughout this as the, the sky is lit up and they make it through the eye of Eldani. Cassian doesn't know where they're going. Skeen, great guy Skeen. He says that Nemec is dying, but they have a doctor built into the contingency. And Skeen says, he tries to make Vel seem like she's a bad one. He says, hey, Vel doesn't want to go take him to the doctor. She's worried about jeopardizing the mission. But this kid is the reason that we're here. Yeah, he really lays it on thick. And we are going to come to find out in a few minutes that it has nothing to do with him wanting no, to save. He, he could care less about any of these people. Saving Nemec. It's just he Skeen knows that when they get to this place, it gives him the opportunity to take his cut, to steal from them, and to make a run for it. That's, you know. Yeah. Eh. That's, and it's so uh, and Nemec's on the operating table. And we, Yeah, we we uh, arrive and we see Dr. Quadpaw. That was his name. I, yeah. It's this new, like, it's a new great. species. I don't think we've seen something like this before. He, he he looks sort of like Goro. He's got the four arms, you know, he's yeah. got the, the two sets of arms as he's operating and he's trying to save Nemec. So Vel is in the operating room with the doctor and with Nemec and outside Skeen and Cassian start to talk. Hey, Skeen asks, you know, do you think he's going to make it? Is, uh, Skeen talks about luck. Luck drives the whole galaxy, doesn't it? You want to guess how much money is in there? Say money, how much is in there? 80 million, give or take. So they got 80 million credits. And when we've heard Cassian throw credit numbers around, I mean, what was he supposed to get paid? 250,000 for this? Yeah, I think, I think, I think yeah, I think two, 200,000. Something like that. And the, you know, the Kyber crystal, which they say is worth a lot, is worth like 30,000 credits. So this is, you know, 80 million we're talking. Huge, huge numbers here. And Skeen says, you want to win and walk away? 40 million apiece. Don't tell me you haven't thought about it. See, I can't fly the trawler, but I have a place where we can go. Between the two of us, we could be the winners here. Cassian asks him a couple questions. No rebellion for you? Well, I'm a rebel. It's just me against everybody else. Well, where would that put me? 40 million credits is enough for me to forget all about you. Is how Skeen responded. And and he and I think does Cassian I think asks about his uh brother. His brother. Your brother with the orchard? I don't have a brother. It's like it's so it's just such like a gut punch after Ugh. everything they went through. Uh and that I will say, man, 
he the guy who plays Skeen too, like fantastic job selling that yeah. story, right? I mean, nobody in a million years would have thought that was a made up story. He yeah, the way he sold it when he told us a few episodes ago about his brother walking in with the stones in his pocket and his brother killing himself and I mean, he was emotional about it. Like, so this guy is a bad dude, but he's a smart dude. You know, he's a good con man here. Yeah, he's a, he's a really slick opportunist. And, you know, he he was on uh, a Cassian's case so so many times. Um, and I think it, he actually probably appreciated that because it let him appear to be uh, so dedicated to the cause. Yep. When, in fact, he's, you know, he's kind of like a, you know, a mercenary type like Cassian, but just with less of a, you know, uh, a moral drive. Mm -hmm. He was sort of, uh, you know, that's what they say a lot of times about relationships too. When you're in there, when you're the one that starts accusing someone of something, it's probably the stuff that you're doing, right? Look at yourself in the mirror. He probably felt uh, like, uh uh-oh, you know, I can, I can sense a little myself in this guy, but Skeen gives him one more, uh, one more little monologue. He says, Hey, look, don't play the high mind with me. You're not here to save anyone but yourself. I saw it the first minute you came into the camp. You're like me. We were born in the hole. All we know is climbing over somebody else to get out. There's a moon eight parsecs from here. Nobody home. We can put that thing down, catch our breath, split up the winnings, and walk. Boom! He doesn't even oh, man. finish walk. Cassian just blasts him. Blasts him. I mean, does not even give him a moment to continue, which... I will say I like in in that there are too many times in movies and shows where like the evil person gets kept alive, right? Cassian keeps him alive, ties him up in the corner. He escapes. And then, you know, he's I Cassian is he's not playing here. He doesn't care. He doesn't he doesn't want to die. And he knows this guy staying alive puts his life in jeopardy. Now, screw you, Skeen. You're out of here. Boom. Yeah, and and who knows if like if Cassian had actually taken him up on it, if if it would you know work out the way Skeen says. Like I, I, I saw someone that said, "What if Skeen was just testing Cassian?" And what if Skeen, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious, <laughs> but it's I know it's not that because when you watch back, you can see some of the things that Skeen's done now, and and now if you were were paying attention a little bit more, you might have been able to find, but. I thought that interpretation was hilarious. Skeen just wanted to see what Cassian would do. He would have been like, no, okay, I'm, I was just testing you. We're, we're fine. But he killed him before he even got the chance to tell him that. <laughs> <laughs> that that's pretty funny. Um, so now we're, we're down Skeen. We're down Gorn. We're down Terramin. And we don't know where Cinta is. And as Cassian walks in, we find out that Nemec didn't make it on the operating table. Oh my gosh. It's it's so depressing. <laughs> and and Cassian walks in with the blaster pointed at the operating table or at Vel, at the doctor. The doctor first thinks he's mad at him. He's hey, I tried, I tried to do everything to save his yeah. life. But Vel Vel realizes she didn't really trust Cassian throughout a lot of this. So she thinks initially that Cassian is just trying to rob her. But once he he tells her, hey, look, Skeen is dead. He wanted to take the money and leave you. Vel says, nah, he wouldn't do that. Cassian says, think about it. Um, I'm going to take my cut, the number I was promised. I'm going to leave you the freighter and what's inside. 
I did my job. I'm done. And I wouldn't stick around if I were you. Give this to your friend. So he leaves her 75 plus million. He only takes his 200,000. He gives her, he leaves her the ship. He leaves her the crystal to give back to Luther. And once he says that, Vel realizes that, okay, this guy isn't really that bad because he could have taken all those things. Like he wasn't in it here to rob me and to rob this. He must be telling the truth about Skeen. Yeah. And I have, oh, and, um, and I think he's going to, he, ta- he takes like the doctor's. Yes. Ship. He tells the doctor, hey, I'll give you 30,000 for that ship. I'm going to take that. I'm going to give you more than what it's worth. So that way he has his own transport out of there. Even when he wants, even when he's going to steal from the doctor, he says, hey, I'm going to leave you more than what it's worth. So he's, I keep thinking Robin Hood, you know, with these guys and like they're, they're bad, you know, like that's, but that's what you're, they're trying to take from the, the rich fat cats to give to the people that need it more and that are more deserving. But I mean, along the way you get caught up in, in like nothing goes as smooth or as clean as you planned all along. And there are going to be some casualties and half of our crew is gone. Half of this, this crew that it's we spent the insane. last couple levels with episodes with on Eldani is dead right now. It, it's really insane when you put when you put it like that. Like Skeen's gone, and immediately Nemec's gone, and uh, Terramin and Gorn both. Terramin and Gorn, and uh, like we had predicted, I think last time uh, that we talked, um, the Manifesto comes back, mm-hmm. and it gets given to Cassian. Vel realizes, hey, okay, Nemec wanted me to give this to you. Cassian's, I don't want it. She said he insisted. And I think Cassian kind of looks over and sees like Nemec lying there on the table, just passed away. So he accepts the manifesto and now he has the, uh, what was the, what was the title of the manifesto here? I have it written down somewhere. Uh, we went through it before. Yeah. It's just like titling it a manifesto makes it seem a little bit weirder than, than it. than I think it should, but it was all about mercenaries in the rebellion. And well, I think that was the I think that was the chapter that he added on to it about Cassian. So this is this is his full manifesto about like fighting the empire and yeah, this, and that and that and that uh, um just that oppression of thought and why the empire is you know uh, such a threat to uh, uh to the galaxy. Now we check in it at the ISB at the uh, the police. Yes, and they have just been alerted about this robbery. So Major Partagaz is going crazy. Don't get comfortable. This is not a meeting. No one's going home. Tell your staff, tell your families. I want every star sector and planetary emergency retaliation plan in the building ready for presentation by midnight. Big, big robbery that, you know, they have to be uh, be ready to try to investigate, to try to figure out who did it, what happened. So this news is getting all over the place. Um, we we just get a look at our friend Deirdre, and I'd imagine that our next episode or maybe our next arc will probably spend a lot more time with this group of people um, that are trying to investigate this. Uh, that may be where we're headed next. Yeah, they realize the the rebels are an actual threat, and um, yeah, and I and I bet they'll, they'll probably order pizza or something. Yeah, you know, absolutely. A few more pop, a few more pills. Deirdre's gonna, yeah. Deirdre's gonna, gonna, yeah, this gonna get gonna get jacked up a little bit more. Um, and we check in at the Senate. Different looking Senate than what we've seen, huh? Like nobody in there, nobody at the Senate. It's empty. Mon Mothma is presenting something, but 
even the few people who are in there all seem to be distracted by yep they're all news they're all that they're getting on their uh iphones they're all getting the the, the text they're all getting the blog the the blog alerts uh the new york times just released you get the alert on your phone so nobody's paying attention to what mon mothma is saying but i think she's wheels are starting to turn in her mind a little bit here and this news has made its way all the way back to luthan's shop as he's dealing with some of his customers one customer asks if uh, Luthen has anything from Eldani. He says, yeah, there was a big rebel attack last night. It's all in the news. So Luthen says, uh, let me look. Maybe we have something in the back. And as he walks in the back, a big smile, a cheer, and an exhale. He doesn't know the specifics. I'm sure he'll be sad to find out that there have been some casualties in the crew. But, you know, they, they've got a lot of money now. And they're going to have some funding for this rebellion um, just short of uh, 80 million credits or so. And we're uh, we're on our way now to the real real start of the rebellion. I thought this was a fantastic episode. I mean, it was just so good. And it's just different too. I, any any show that I watch, Star Wars, Marvel, hell, I'm I'm a Dodger fan. I watch these games. Right now we're in the in the playoffs. I'm I felt like I feel when I'm watching a Dodger playoff game through a lot of this episode. Like he was just, oh gosh, like, like you're just like, you're waiting on the next pitch and it's like, oh, is this going to be it? Oh, okay. No, no. Okay. There's, they're good. We're good with that. Oh, like, oh no. Nemec, Nemec. No. Oh, oh, oh wait. They, they med spiked him. Okay. He's back. He's back. Oh no. Now he's dead. Like it was, <laughs> it was just a roller coaster of a ride. It felt as much like a move, like, like a movie in the 50 minutes or however long, like that, that quality, that storytelling, that attention to detail, that like emotionally invested. And I mean, it's pretty awesome. We're now only still halfway through the series. So it feels like we've done a lot, but it still feels like we're going to have a lot of places to go with six more episodes to come. Yeah. And the cool thing is, I mean, I mean, the writing is just so strong. I feel like it's, stronger than any of the other star wars series that you know, was the, it, the the writing in star wars was always kind of maligned you know like a lot of the star wars stuff was just like oh gosh are we gonna roll our eyes at that again you know or like oh man that's really corny but it's this details the layers the it is as well written as any star wars property that i can i can remember and if, if you can think of one out there and you're listening i'd love to hear it and maybe we're missing one but i, I just this is so, so different. It's just like high quality script here. Yeah. And this is Star Wars uh, so far without too much of the force. And you know what? I'm okay with that. Because we can get there anytime, right? It's like, that's a that's something we can go back to anytime. We can get to the Skywalker saga. We can get to all of them anytime. Right now, we're telling a different story. And... Oh, this is, yeah, this was a blast. Uh, it was so much fun to watch. And I- I've, I've really enjoyed talking it out with you, Michael. Uh, we missed uh, our buddy Trevor, but he's, uh, he's on vacation having fun with the family. And I uh, would love uh, to chat with you next week if you guys want, or, you know, anytime we can get you back in the next few weeks. If you want to keep coming every week, I'd love to have you too, because you guys are, uh, are kicking butt. And uh, this was a blast. And now we'll sort of get a new arc. I- I'd imagine in in reading into some of the things that were mentioned it looks like you know ferrix i think that's probably where the isb is going to go to try to investigate some of this because that's where deirdre was kind of thinking she had already 
the wheels were already spinning in her head in the last couple episodes about these little pockets and these little things happening. She just didn't realize that that there was a group of rebels that was able that would have been able to organize and pull off something this big. And that's sort of what's the double the double whammy about this and why it's so important. Not only is it actual money to fund this rebellion now moving forward, this is a the first real dent for the empire to realize oh they can actually do something. Like they can actually hit us a little bit here. Yeah, and and they're and and then the other side of that is they're actually going to start taking the this rebellion seriously, and they're going to be thinking, okay, so they were able to make this happen, but they had to have um, you know people behind the scenes, they had to have backers and supporters and people funding this, and so you know I'm a little worried a little bit for for Luthen and, and Mon Motha. Absolutely, because they're they're not going to be able to keep their names and their faces out of this forever. Right. Yeah, it, and we we know uh, Mon Moth. Uh, gosh, I'm saying why. Mon Mothma. Uh, you know, is eventually she'll make her way to Yavin Four. Mm-hmm. You know, and at some point, you know, even like we talked about the last a couple weeks ago, there's drivers, there's assistants, there's people all over who probably know some things that could lead to dangerous moments for Luthen, for Mon Mothma, who still have to have to have a cover right now. They can't just be out in the open, you know, supporting this rebellion. I'm very, very excited about where we're headed on the second part of this series of season one of Andor. Thank you so much, Michael, for hanging out with me today. It was an absolute blast talking with you and uh, look forward to chatting with you again next week. Make sure to follow us folks and to subscribe to the podcast we will be here every week anytime there's anything new in the world of star wars i'll be here with you talking about the tv shows talking about the movies and uh, we've been very lucky to have some great star wars experts and consultants helping us out so uh, we'll talk more and or with you next week when we dive into episode seven don't go anywhere and that's going to do it for this episode of that's what g said we covered a lot of ground today college football week seven nfl week six with eric We got into Friday and Saturday Keeneland, Saturday Santa Anita Rainbow Pick 6, Wrestling with Chad Cooper, WWE, NXT, AEW, Extreme Rules, and then Andor, Episode 6, The Deep Dive. So uh, we will finish up with the She-Hulk recaps in the next few days. We have the season finale to discuss with Tim Kelly. We'll continue along with Andor as we're halfway through the season now, and we'll always have content for you and analysis of the races at Santa Anita as they roll on only a couple weeks away from the Breeders' Cup now folks so you know we'll have a big focus in some of our big Breeders' Cup shows as the uh, the big days in racing approach good luck this weekend hope everybody has a nice weekend good luck in all your plays we'll talk to you again real soon